Hey everyone, welcome to the Sneaker History Podcast, where we dive into the people, stories, and iconic moments that have helped make sneakers a global phenomenon. If you've ever told someone that you like their kicks, then you're in the right place. Before we lace up this episode, here's a little teaser for you. Stick around to the end of each episode for the last shot question. It's a chance to test your sneaker knowledge and engage with our community. I've also recently started a newsletter to share my knowledge from nearly two decades of experience working in the footwear industry. You can find the link to that below or go to sneakerhistory.com slash newsletter for a weekly deep dive into the biggest topics in the sneaker business. All right, now that the business is taken care of, grab your favorite pair of kicks and let's get started with the episode. Jordan trying to shake off Starks. Oh, what a move! Against Gill, the crowd on its feet. Allen for the win! Welcome to the Sneaker History Podcast. What up, what up? Welcome back to the Sneaker History Podcast. My name's Nick Engvall. I've got my guy, Russ Bankston, on with me today. We, I think, go back probably about 10 years. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we've been trying to connect for a while, and, and this is just how life rolls. But, like, I feel like Russ and I zig and zag even when i get to new york right it's like we're like or at all-star i'm just thinking like i've probably been in the same place as you hundreds of times and not run into you (laughs) it's entirely possible it's entirely possible chicago all-star was like super quick and super cold and you know you can only go so many places um I told you before we even started that I was probably going to burn some bridges today. And like, I might as well throw a match right now. Like, (laughs) dude, I hosted that panel with Puma and Def Jam and I had Chuck inscribe to me the, uh, what do you call it? The, uh, the high top ones. I forget what the the sky or whatever handed them to the Puma dude. Ship, please ship these to me, get a box from Puma. Like, Two weeks later, it's the Clydes, which I was given also at that event, and the Sky Dreamer, or whatever those new ones were. They just yeah, totally like walked the pair that I had Chuck signed for me. Never saw him again, never heard back from him again, never got anything to replace them. Not that anything can replace them, but it's like, thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. Like, this was something that I actually cherished and, like, was the one thing. I brought yeah. home from that all-star weekend and it's gone forever. So that was fun. I mean, it's crazy too. Cause that, I mean, just the, I'm Chuck meaning Chuck D right. Like the, uh, the, the combination of, of everyone at Def Jam and Puma working together too, is not something that's going to happen. Right. Like a lot of the guys that were at Jeff Jam at that time, right. Are kind of, the carry through of like some of the old complex people, some of the, you know, just like right, the people that right, right. you've been working with off and on for years. So, and that, that kind of all shifted, right? I mean, oh, yeah. on, Def, on yeah. both sides of the, of the coin, all those people have been like dispersed in different ways because of, you know, obviously the pandemic throwing things around and whatever else, but. Oh, yeah, I mean, God, let alone crazy. like the idea of hosting a panel in front of a live audience, like, no, that's not happening yeah. for a long time. Like maybe yeah. a year from now, maybe, but yeah. like, you know, whoever whoever ended up getting that pair of Pumas that are too Russ from Chuck D with the little man in the sights thing, enjoy them, I guess, because <laughs> I don't know. I look forward to hey, seeing well, them on well, Instagram someday. 
hopefully, hopefully they show up in some in some random box at Puma. You know, I, I feel like the same thing has happened probably multiple times with both of us throughout the years with the things we've done. But it, I feel like at some point I'm going to go up to Reebok and it's going to there's literally going to be a box with my name on it. Just <laughs> all, all the things that I thought were headed my way. You're, or a, you're thought that you know. <laughs> you're far more optimistic about this stuff than I am. So um, just wishful I'm not even going to comment on that yet. But. But so before before we go too far down either of these paths, <laughs> I I feel like there's two things that that I want to have you kind of share with our audience because we have a really interesting mix of like old dudes like us that have been doing this for a really long time and and probably want to hear the crazy stories that you know you've experienced along the way, but we also have a, a really a really uh, like active group of of really young kids not kids mm. but like you know 18 to 20 somethings that you know i think you and i have talked about this for years right like that seems to be uh the challenge to get that that age range interested in in the you know the deeper meaning and deeper stories and the history behind all of these shoes but i you know been lucky enough to work with you through the years there's one story there's well first there's the stories that are behind you you know, about, about 1998 or so <laughs> that I want to get into, but then there's a story you told me while we were sitting in the office at complex about riding around New York city with Alan Iverson doing an interview. So I guess for just for anybody that doesn't know you a 10 second, you know, brief on, on who you are and how you got to this point. And I'd love to hear that story about Alan Iverson and riding around New York city. Sure. Well, I mean, the the short version is, you know, I saw, I found the first issue of Slam on a on a Delaware grocery store rack at like 2am, just out one night because I couldn't sleep or whatever. And I just started pestering them until they let them until they let me write for them. Um, you know, and then seeing that it was a small staff, once someone left, I guess I had bothered them enough that they were like, well, I guess we can either hire this guy or he can bother us by a fax forever. Um, and it was probably easier just to hire me. So, um, you know, I started there full time in 96 and ended up becoming editor in chief in 99, um, 99 or 2000. I don't know. It's hard to, hard to keep track of 20 years ago, but, uh, you know, the Iverson thing that was, you know, writing the story for what became the Soul on Ice cover, which they recently retroed the entire magazine. And like, thanks guys for making me feel really old. <laughs> um, and uh, it's funny, you know, just a brief zag, but you mentioned people um, younger and it's like, I've been selling off a bunch of stuff and some of them have been questions. And like, you know, I sold a pair to someone and they, they were like, yeah, like, I don't know who you are, but it's cool because like Iverson, like sort of, you know, cause I'm such a huge fan and like, it brings like me to you, whatever. And I'm just like, yeah, I wrote the cover story of probably his most famous cover ever, but thanks. Um, but anyway, you know, that was one of those things. It was like, it was honestly just like a press junket. And I feel like it's not anything that happens as much now, maybe. Um, and to call it a junk, it's not fair either. Cause it wasn't like there were a hundred people, but they were definitely just like, okay, slam gets the morning source sports gets the afternoon. Like, so I ended up, you know, hooking up with Iverson and Q in a limo driving around New York with him making appearances 
um, at like the Modell's office or like the Foot Locker office, like just showing up to um, basically thank higher ups for what they'd done with his shoe. And like, we had this super candid conversation um, in the car and not, you know, I, I don't want to say it's because of my questions or anything. I think it was just because in 99, like AI was still super, super wide open about everything, you know? And I look back at that and, you know, you look back at that time and you look back at that cover and like, he wasn't, he hadn't been named an all-star yet. That didn't happen until the following season. Like, I don't think he'd led the league in scoring yet. Um, certainly hadn't been to the finals yet. You know, it was, it was, everything had been amped up, but he hadn't quite become like the superstar that his being an icon had sort of, you know, anticipated. Um, you know, and the thing that stands out to me the most still is asking him, like, if he could be any other NBA player, who would he pick? And he picks Latrell Sprewell. And it was just like, <laughs> yo, like, you're already, like, catching shit from sort of the NBA powers that be. And you could yeah. pick one of, like, 300 whatever other players, including, like, one of your teammates or, like, I know Jordan's retired, but, like, that's an easy one. And you pick, like, literally the guy who is – completely you know off the rails at that point and it's like all right he's he's not gonna he's not gonna sugarcoat any of this stuff um i mean that's so amazing though just to like interject real quick if you think of like the where we were at in terms of basketball hip-hop sneakers everything that shapes us now right and like latrell sprewell was still the wild card of all wild cards Iverson was like the superstar focus on this is how not to be in in oh. all professional ways, right? Like that's why I resonated with him because it was like, wait, he's still doing this and he keeps doing all this dumb sh shit that. Well, like... it, it, it's cool because like you know the the messaging from up top and from like Stern or you know whoever you want to name or even Sixers front office people were like, you know, kind of on the on the in general sense like don't be like this guy. And Iverson's answer to that question is, no, I literally want to be this guy. <laughs> yeah. Like, I love it, man. Game. That is like, so... <laughs> it was yeah, so exactly. Like, I kind of want to go back. Like, I'm sure I must somewhere have the tape from that. And I just wonder, like, how I reacted, like, at that exact moment. <laughs> you know, part of me must have realized, like, oh, my God, this is the greatest answer of all time. But um, obviously, it just kind of continued. Like... You know, at one point we had to stop at a jewelry store on 47th because he had some massive diamond and platinum bracelet that like had broken and he needed to get the 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 hinge fixed. And it's just like we went through there. I know we went to like the Woolworth building downtown, which is where Modell's headquarters was at the yeah. time. And then we drove all the way out to Teterboro because he was flying somewhere. And like, that's basically when me and I forget who the source sports reporter was at the time. Like, I don't think it was Chris Wilder. It might've been, but like, we basically just tagged each other out, like straight <laughs> up, like Olympics, you know, um, what do you call that? Um, yeah. Like passing the baton or something. Yeah. 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 <laughs> like, all right, your turn. Um, and like, it would have been great to be on the plane with him Cause I'm sure that got even more open, but, uh, you know, it was one of those things that looking back at it, it's like the opportunity to spend that time with a future Hall of Famer, you know, before all that success happened was just kind of crazy. 
Yeah, man. I mean, and, and to think of like how, how it is now, you know, it's like, I mean, you know, 2020 aside and 2021 aside, the normal now is let's just throw 50 of these people into a room, you know, two minutes at a time so we can get all our little sound clips as widely dispersed as possible. And then none of those sound clips are worth a shit, right? Like they're all just the same regurgitated, you know, I mean, you and I have been in those lines many times trying to like, what can I ask that's going to, that's going to make him think differently about right. his answer, right? Because right. You, no. you have to, you have to ask certain things because that's part of like getting access and part of, you know, the game, I guess, to like, hey, you have, to, you know, like you're here to talk about a specific thing, but you also want to like, in your two minutes, you want to like, you know, you, you want to see the eyes, right? You want to see, like, I remember the one time I got to, the second, the first time I got to interview Shaq, um, you know, just like watching and learning the, the, the kind of process and just seeing his eyes light up when certain people ask things or the side eye, right? Like you can't ask me that. Right. But it's like, <laughs> yeah. But, but I think also now is like, there's that old expression. I don't forget whether it's like Southern or whatever about using like all the pig, but the squeal. And, that, and that's kind of where we are now, where it's like, literally everything is content, you know? Yeah. And it's like circling back, like even like, I've been doing this thing where I've been taking shoes I've gotten sent over the years and just leaving them out, leaving them out, you know, leaving them around the neighborhood out here on Long Island and like, let people find them. And like, I'll leave a note in all the boxes with my at and like, please hit me up. And like, hardly anyone does, but whatever, that's fine. Um, you know, but you get like people hitting you up being like, yo, you should like do a video or do whatever, or even with my storage unit. It's like, no, nah, like you got to understand, like some of this stuff is just for me. Like, this is not for you. You yeah. know, you might want it, but no, I don't want to let you have it because like, I want to keep some of my own life mine. And like, I'm nobody, you know, like, how is it for LeBron or Kevin Durant or, you know, any of the, the Curry, like any of the superstar guys, like just that pull to turn like literally everything you do and everything you say into something, you know, th the pressure of that must just be insane. And to bring that back to Iverson, like, you know, I look at it as like, we got that time with him because we at Slam or Source Sports or whoever else existed at the time, like we were the outlets who let them kind of say what they wanted. You know, I wasn't yep. certainly, and I think my whole story was basically like, yo, why are you being so judgmental about this dude? He's 21, like let him live his life. Like, yep. and sort of trying to present his words as his words without like stepping on him. And now if you're an athlete, you know, I look at Iverson, oh my God, like how big would that dude have been in his prime on Twitter, on Instagram, on TikTok, like all these yep. places, Players Tribune, you know, and like he's gotten to use them fortunately because he's still active and he's still like a known commodity. Like people still love him so much. But I just think about like how much better it would have been for him to be able to get his own voice out back then. And kind yep. of, you know, it's it's bad and good like we wouldn't have been as important to him because yep. he would have had those outlets for himself yeah it's it's really an interesting kind of thing to think about too because uh, like i mean you and i kind of resonate with athletes and and entertainers and whatever in the same way right like <clears throat> like we see through the the i don't want to say like the falseness of it but like there is like a very protected way that people are presented to media, right? 
And that was that was what drew me to Slam. I mean, like I remember reading like your name at the end of high school for me, like 96, 97, and thinking like, this guy has the job that I want. This guy is doing exactly what I want to do. Like, how do I, I mean, of course you want to do a million things, but like to be able to talk to these people in a way that just feels like you're just sitting with them, you know, at the court or grabbing a bite to eat or, you know, whatever that is, it's so real compared to all the other, like, I mean, nothing against like, I, I mean, obviously I love sports illustrated and all these like big, big players, but like, especially as a teenager where I'm trying to figure out who I'm going to be as a human being and as a man and all of these things, like I resonated so much with the conversations in slam because they connected with all the different aspects of my life that I lived already. Right. It was, it was basketball. It was, it was hip hop. It was, you know, like, I mean, for better or worse, smoking cigarettes and like all the, <laughs> all the stuff that like, just, you know, you, you weren't, you weren't supposed to do, I guess, in a sense, like there was like, a negativity associated with that stuff. It was like, well, you should probably go to college and get a blah, 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 and do this and, you know, become a doctor, become a, you know, like lawyer. My parents, my, my mom always wanted me to be become a lawyer because she thought I was good at like arguing with people basically. And it's like, thanks mom. Love you. But that's not, <laughs> that's not my path at all. Like I want to wear sneakers and, and fitteds and, you know, t-shirts and hoodies and not ever right, have to wear right, that stuff. Right. right. But that's the kind of crazy part about, I, you know, like you said, Iverson would be one of those people. I just think like those, even just like the Reebok commercials back in the day were what like TikTok or Instagram reels or all that stuff, what every like basketball player aspires to have on their own Instagram is a highlight reel after highlight reel. Right. And that's what he was all the time, oh, yeah. both, both in terms of basketball, but also in terms of when he spoke. Right. And to me, at least, and I think like it was just so raw and unfiltered that like that's what, you know, ultimately drew, drew me into him and made him like the guy that I just was like obsessed with in a sense. But then but like I, now we, we go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, no, no. But all I was going to say was like all, you know, you mentioned the commercials and I just think of like how much more there even could have been because like yeah. there is no thing as a cutting room floor anymore. Right. Like yep. everything that happens is used and like. I look at something like that Iverson Jadakiss commercial they did for, I think it was for the answer five or, you know, whatever yeah. it was. And like, there must've been so many moments during that shoot with just conversations between the two of them that would have popped up as like an Instagram video or in a story yeah. or wherever else. And like, we could have gotten so much a better picture of it. And like, it's still such an iconic thing because it's Iverson and Jadakiss. And like, no one was really putting hip hop and basketball together like that from a corporate perspective, like I think we at Slam were and like some other publications, obviously again, Source Sports, I've, for the record, I've never mentioned Source Sports as many times in one <laughs> conversation in my entire life. Um, but like, you know, they were coming at it from the hip hop direction. We were coming at it from the basketball direction. And we kind of met in the middle, but like, you know, now you see some of these like hip hop and uh, sports combinations or like athlete rapper, and it's like, you look like, all right, did some marketing firm put this together? And I feel like yeah. even back then, things were kind of looked at like that because that's all we saw. So the genuine ones sort of, for those of us who knew, we knew what was genuine and what wasn't. But for the average person, you couldn't really pick like which was right and which wasn't because all we saw was the finished product. So like, I think Iverson's line and Reebok in general would have benefited so much 
from things being so much more open. You know, it's yeah. like Iverson and Jada were definitely having real conversations on set and like not to directly compare it, but like did Penny Hardaway and like Chris Rock even meet until like way after like Lil Penny happened? Like, you know, the 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 sort of slick advertising stuff that got put together and like the gritty real like, yo, let's just film these two friends together. Yeah. The end product was the same. And it kind of hurt the authentic ones that we didn't get to see more. And like, I, I don't even mean that as like, I'm not trying to like shit on Nike or whatever, because I know some of that was authentic. Like, and honestly, like, yo, I would love to see like the raw footage from the Spike and Mike commercials. Cause I mean, yeah. oh my God, the stuff that probably happened during those shoots. Yep. But like, you know, back then you're doing days of work for a 30 second clip and the 30 second clip is all you get yep and like it, it was enough it did its job you know like i still have memories of seeing some of those spike and mike commercials debut during like the dunk contest or during all-star weekend um would i like to have like the box set equivalent of all the outtakes yes <laughs> yeah that would be but amazing like, i mean I, I don't know you know and, and that like i could go on about this for hours so please tell me to shut up but like Sometimes I think it's all too much too. You know, sometimes I go the other way and think like, well, maybe maybe we should only get the finished product. Maybe we're not entitled to like every last bit of everything and leaving like no mystery. You know, like sometimes I listen to like an album with like nine outtakes or whatever and it's like or alternate takes, especially yep. like listening to jazz records and like it's cool to hear all the workshopping that went into it. But you know what? Sometimes I just want to hear the finished product. Like sometimes I just want to listen to a Love Supreme from front to back and yeah. not have to be like, and not, you know, need to hear like every misstep or drag on a cigarette that John Coltrane took through the process. So yeah, I mean, I go back and forth on it. I mean, I think that that to circle back to your, your point about, you know, the storage units, right? Like, you and I approach that in, in very much the same way, right? Like I, I am at least intending to share some of the stories that I've been a part of, or, or, you know, gotten to see along the way more so than I have in the past, but I also have so much stuff that people will never know or understand, or like, you know, I think it, it, it is, it is like something that I think there's the best whether you're considering it content now or the best, like, you know, stories from the past, right? To me, the best ones are both authentic, but also like, you know, refined in a sense, right? Like the, whether it's in that and it's an editor chopping it up or the person just has done this for so long that they know how things progress. Right. And I think right. you can see that right. with like, on a very simple level, you can see that with YouTubers who've been doing it for a really long time, who can hop on camera and just rattle off all this stuff. And you're like, oh, shit, that was crazy. They didn't even take a break. You can't even see any edits in the video. And you're just like, okay, that's what, you know, like, I mean, I just had Jacques on the podcast a couple weeks back. And like, he's one of those people that's just like, snap, snap, you know, like puts it together. And you would, could relate to that because you've known him and been around when he pulls that camera up next to you and starts doing his thing. And you're just like, who is this guy? Like, you know, like <laughs> right, right, he turns, right, right. he just puts the glasses on and the camera comes on and it's like, now he's, you know, on, ready to go. But I think that's also like, you know, that would, to me, like res I resonate to with the people that 
that can kind of understand both sides of that, right? And have these conversations. And that's part of why I like talking to you and talking to Jacques and all these people in the sneaker world, because there's so many people that, that want to understand, you know, how it came to be, want to understand like how things kind of work, but also have no intention of actually being a part of it. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, being like, there's plenty of people that I know that have reached out to us on the sneaker history podcast that don't Mm -hmm. like actually want to go get a job in sneakers. Right. But they appreciate what I've done, what you've done. Like we had people in our discord asking for you to come on. Right. And I'm like, like, that's because they have those experiences and those memories of you in some way. And to, I I think like the, the beauty of it is right. Like that as much as we want to keep a lot of this stuff for ourselves or or not, maybe not a lot, let's say it's 50, 50, right. Being generous. Even if you spent 50% of your time right now telling your stories, you can't possibly tell all the things. And I think that it's kind of cool that, you know, you get to revisit some of these things and like the allure of you posting your storage units, right. It's it's always a thing, right? Like I always am like zooming in on the, like, (laughs) What is in there? You know, like it's you're lucky that you don't wear a size 13, because honestly, like I probably would just be like, you know what? I've got like eight more spots up there. Uh, Russ, like what could you like? What can I fit? You know, <laughs> right, right, right. But also at the same time, I'm in the same place as you looking at it. Like, why do I have all these things? You know, and, and I love that you're doing the giveaways on your Instagram and, and dropping them off. Uh, you know, like, I, I mean, I literally showed it to my girlfriend the first time you did it. And I was like, this is exactly what I want to do someday. I want to just load up trucks full of sneakers and drop them off places. I want to go to a park of kids playing basketball, you know, eight to 10, 12 years old and like just unload a truck of, of new sneakers and just be like, right. look guys, right. this is what you, this will help you get through the next year or two because so many of those kids just didn't have that stuff and didn't have access to it. But um, I, I do think the one thing that, and only because you brought it up before we started recording, the one thing that I, I, uh, I kind of cherish myself a little more than other things. And it seems a little funny because they're not that important, but the press passes and the access badges to me are the, like, I'm just going to keep the, you know, like this, as much as I'll get rid of a lot of things, those things to me are, are just too special to let go of. And they don't take up a whole lot of space so I can throw them all in a box and be good with it, right? But right, right, right. They're not gonna go bad. I mean, I still need to, <laughs> I still need to edit those down too. Like, you know, I unfortunately have a habit, whether it's physical things or emotional things or mental things, like I just kind of throw them in the back and be like, all right, I'm not dealing with that. Like they're just gonna stack up. And, you know, with my storage, you know, I've been out here on Long Island in my parents' house since March not doing much of anything unfortunately and like you know for the first couple months like into summer probably i barely went anywhere you know i went and got groceries and that was pretty much it like i didn't even go to the storage unit even though it's a couple blocks away because i was just like i don't know like it's not like i was worried about it but i just didn't want to deal and i started going back there in fall and i'm kind of like you know, I'm here in like my old bedroom, which is small and my storage unit's small. And like here I'm surrounded by all this stuff. And it's just like, you know, I got to start dealing with this and dealing with the physical stuff sort of leads you to deal with some of the emotional stuff. Cause it's like, it is all sort of yeah. interconnected and like, it's been, uh, it's been an interesting couple of months in that regard. Um, you know, but you talk about, the stories and like, 
it's funny because you know one of them like so i posted up a pair of my old um jordan twos and it was a pair of like the 04s or whatever the hell i forget what year it was 08 04 i whatever yeah, 04, 04, um, probably, yeah. but like and i told a, a truncated version of the story on instagram and like how you know i wore them to chicago for the jordan 23 launch i ended up playing on the united center floor while wearing them um I didn't mention, I think I played against Bobito and I didn't get completely embarrassed. So, you know, I, I chalk that up as a W. Um, and it was like, you know, that was a pair, like they were stuffed in a box with some other stuff. I pulled everything out of that box and like they ended up sitting like sort of towards the front. So I would see them every time I went. And it's like, on the one hand, like, yeah, it's a great personal story connected to it. It's a cool memory. On the other hand, like, am I going to keep these forever? Like, I don't know if I'm going to wear them because they might fall apart. Um, a whole separate issue is the twos have always bothered me because it's like my favorite Jordan ever. And I think they've done a crappy job of every single retro of it. So, like, I get mad when I see them, too. And, you know, I kind of finally decided, like, look, and, and I might have even said it, like, on IG when I posted them, I'm like, I'm going to keep the story. Like, I'm going to remember that forever. But, like, I don't need to keep the shoes for that. And, like, I had people hitting me up, like, yo, like, you're just going to donate them. Like, why don't you send them to me and, like, I'll pay shipping. Or, like, I want to keep them. I'll keep the story, too. And I'm like, no, no, no. No. First of all, you don't get the story. No one gets the story. The story is yeah. my story. Like, I can tell it. But, like, I don't want it a shoe especially my shoe, which is super weird to me to be sitting in someone's case and they can say like, Oh, Russ wore this, blah, blah, blah. Like, nah, my whole reason for dropping them at a thrift store was like, number one, the two was the first Jordans I ever got. So like any sort of mystique with the air Jordan and like sort of fondness I have for it, like started with that shoe. Um, and then, I got my first pair of Jordan ones at a Goodwill in Delaware. Like this was in like 91, you know, they'd only been gone for six years, which is kind of crazy to think about, but yeah. they were a size 11 and a half. I'm a nine and a half, 10. I wore them anyway, because it was like, when am I going to find a pair of Jordan ones ever? Um, I still have that pair. They've been on display at a museum in, in uh, Australia through Elizabeth Semelhack and the Bada Shoe Museum. Like, you know, those I probably will never get rid of. But my thinking with these twos is like, and it's probably naive because they probably got taken by a sorter or something, but like, <laughs> you know, let them sh just show up on a rack yeah. at a Goodwill and let someone find those like in the wild and take them home and like make their own story with it. You know, and, and I think I went off on like a giant Twitter tangent about it at one point, but like, at some point you got to separate the story about the shoe and the story you make with the shoe. And the former is important. I think like, and, and because I care about the history and, and about like how I got into them and like why a shoe exists or whatever. But I think that's secondary to how you relate to it. You know, I see like someone posted something recently about the 10 shoes you need to start your collection and like, nah, like there is no universal shit to that. And yep. I'm saying that knowing I've probably written the same goddamn story because, like, whatever, we came I'm up with sure that at Complex and we had <laughs> yeah. to do that shit. But there is no has to. You don't have to own any particular shoe. If if you don't like it, you don't need it. Like, And if someone's going to judge you for not having, like, 
an Air Max 95 or a Jordan 11 or a, or a, a Reebok pump, like that's their problem. Like buy the stuff you like, wear the stuff you like. You don't have to be an archivist. You know, the history yeah. already exists. The history is going to exist whether you own it or not. Like I don't own a pair of Air Max 95s anymore. Like I sent my 15 neons to a friend and trade for some bike stuff that I'm going to use, you know, like, yeah, I don't think I own a pair of Air Max nineties, like Air Max running shoes just kind of aren't my thing. So yeah. like, I don't feel an obligation. Like, am I going to be any less of a, a sneaker person if I don't own a pair of infrared nineties? Like from what I understand, the last retro was really good, but that's fine. Good. Let, let the people who want to enjoy it, enjoy it. Yeah, well, you made some great points. And I, I think one of the things that I've been going through myself, and maybe this is just, maybe you can relate, maybe this is just like the modern, uh, the modern version of a midlife crisis. But like, <laughs> I, uh, I've, I've been looking at things as like, as like, you know, ways to kind of reinvent what I do, who I am, not just in sneakers, but just all across the board in the way that I approach life, you know, and um, part of that what you said about the the story becoming someone else's story is what I really like. And I think that, I think that's a really important thing. Like, I think there is value in, you know, there's value in knowing things that happen. There's value in, in being knowledgeable as a, as a person. Right. But like the stories themselves don't have to be tied to the stories that I tell the stories that you tell the stories that the brands tell, right. Tell, right. Like that can be any, buddy's story and that's what i love about sneakers right like this like everybody can have that unique story and i think we've gotten to this place where everything is very homogenized it's very like let's just line it up take the picture do the same things blah 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 here's the story push it out by the retro you've seen this before kind of thing and i think there's value to you know, it's it's hard to think of it in this way because you and I have done this so many times, but like that story of like 10 shoes you should start with, I don't think you should start there. I think you can always have like 10 shoes that are probably worth a look for anybody that's into sneakers, right? Because inevitably, if you made that list and I made that list, it would be different. I'd look at your list and be like, damn, I don't have those. I should go, I should go at least check those out in the store. I mean, assuming normal life exists and we can walk <laughs> into a store and look at a shoe on a wall. But I also love the idea of that reinvention of like, and retelling the stories and like just repurposing things. Right. I think that's, you know, the, the, the thought of like finding things in a goodwill and, and, you know, starting over and starting your story with that thing from this point or letting go of that thing is equally important, equally as important because it gives you room to bring in other things. And I don't necessarily mean physical things, right. It's like, you know, you and I have talked about this at length before, but like, the emotional attachment that goes along with some of these things, right, is, is, it's tough to deal with. It's, it's, it's tough to let go of things, even when you don't know, or when you don't necessarily ha have a, a reason to use them in the physical sense, right? Like, sometimes that value is going to outweigh the others. And you're like, okay, that one's just going to go back on the shelf, back in the stack, and I'll get to it when it's ready to be let go, right? right but at the same right. time, you and I are, are both very passionate about this stuff. And it's like, I mean, I saw you post up uh, uh, the uh, what was the uh, the original 2012 Olympic Adidas knit shoe, right? Oh, and I'm right, like, right, right, right. Man, I'm I love that shoe. Little... I yeah, the, I love that shoe. I love the you know the, the the story behind it. 
I never got a pair. It was super crazy, but it's also completely washed away at this point compared to maybe when you and I probably actually were working together or talking about it when it came out. Right. So it's one oh, of those yeah. things I mean, where it's nobody like, nobody cares about that shoe at this point. Yeah. But it's also, you know, if, if, if you think about in terms of like, like the real, like deep history of all this stuff, it's kind of a significant talking point, right? There was a huge debate as to whether like Adidas came out with, with prime knit first, or if Nike came out with fly knit first, right? That right, Olympics right, in 2012 right. was, there was lawsuits involved in it. And, Sometimes, like, I, I mean, obviously, we revisit a lot of these weird things that happen throughout the years on sneaker history, but it's like, you forget about that kind of stuff. And and it, it the world or the, you know, the universe, whatever you want to call it, determines what stories are actually important enough to carry on anyway, right? Naturally, I think it's, it's harder for for things like that to be relevant, because people don't care about it to the same extent, there'll be a, a small group of people that end up being like, you know, working at, at Elizabeth's bottom museum 30 years from now, that'll be like, yeah, 2012 Olympics. This was crazy. You're never going to believe this. And some kid will walk in and be like, what, how did I not know that? And they're going to go chase down that story. And then they're going to create their own story around it and it gets passed along. But it is really fascinating how, you know, we, we, for better or worse, we, we hang on to all these things and we got to figure out how to let them go. And then we also got to, figure out what that new story is. Right. And I think like the collectible space, the sneaker space, even just like, I mean, you and I probably have, I think you've got me well topped, but I think band tees from like the eighties and nineties and oh, early yeah, 2000s, yeah, yeah. right. Like jerseys. Like I have massive amounts of those things in tubs that I have not looked at in, in years. Right. And right. I love the thought of that. I love the thought of, Hey, this is going to spark something for me when I open it up again. But I also, at the same time, would never miss them if they were gone tomorrow and I just was, like, free to do whatever I want. Oh, right, right, right. right. No, no, no. I mean, I look at my stuff in terms of, like, if it all disappeared tomorrow, I'd be so much happier. But then I look at one shoe and I can come up with a million reasons to keep it. And, like, you know, yeah. I've kind of tried over the past couple months to sort of reprogram my brain a little bit in that regard where it's, like, the reasons I can come up with to keep something are, like, do I like it and, you know would I wear it? And it's like, yeah, well, of course you're going to say yes, because you wouldn't own it otherwise. So the real answer question is like, you know, are you going to wear it? And in a lot of those cases, it's like, no, probably not. And yeah. in that case, why keep it? You know, like, so whether it's been leaving stuff around or selling it or like yesterday, um, I was fortunate to get a pair of those. Uh, this was, I guess, in 2016, probably, if my math is right, which it never is. But a pair of the uh, 20th anniversary WNBA Adidas boosts. And oh, I'm yeah. like, these have been just sitting. Like, why are these sitting here? So, like, I hit up Matt Ellentuck, who does, like, a, you know, a WNBA newsletter and does WNBA stuff. Like, yo, do you want, like, I'll just send these to you. Like, just give me your address. So I shipped them to him yesterday. And I figure, like, either they go on his desk and they can be his Zoom background for whatever he does. Or... You know, he has a lot of contacts within WNBA players and fans. Like, he can find the right home for them. Like, just yep. just let it go. Like, why are these boxes gathering dust? And, you know, that's where, to me, like, there's this massive imbalance. Like, you look at it, like, again, to split it up, like, there's a brand story or a retailer story or whatever you want to call it. Yep. And then there's your own story with the 
whatever the thing is, whether it's a shirt or a shoe or whatever else. And like, there's a dividing line, right? Not even when you buy it, until you wear it, the entire story is the brand side. A dead stock shoe is like anything else. Like it's not special. I don't care if they made a thousand of them. It's just like any of those other thousand yep. until the moment you put it on your foot and wear it. And it, when you wear it, it becomes something different than every other one out there. You know, I'm wearing this motorhead shirt I bought on St. Mark's place like 25 years ago. They made probably millions of these things, but I've yep. worn this shirt hundreds of times and washed it hundreds of times, you know, like at this point it's unique. It's different than anyone else's. And if you put this like, alongside a bunch of new ones, I want mine because it's my, like, because of what's connected to it. And like, I think what brands have done and, and unfortunately what retailers have done, they've sort of weaponized this whole like moment of purchase as being the be all end all. And like, that's yep. why there's hype beast posts about what 25 shoes you need that are releasing this weekend which like if anyone stopped for a second would realize is utterly insane. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it's like, I feel like for the most part, and I understand I'm totally old man shouting at cloud right now, but like people would be better off literally buying one pair of shoes for like six months and wearing it and like thinking about it and making it their own instead of buying a new pair every weekend and just stacking them up. Because if you take a brand new pair, I don't care, again, how rare it is, how few were made, that hasn't been worn yet, and you put it in a pile with 15 other pairs of the same shoe that hasn't been worn yet, you can just grab any one. It's just a, it's just a thing. Yep. You, there's no story that you have connected to it. It's just what it is, whether it's a Jordan 11 or an SB or whatever else. But if you wear it, then it's your shoe. Then it's connected to what you did with it. You know, like I posted my pair of black Supremes that are like completely wrecked. And it's like, I don't know. Those just mean so much because they've been through so much. Would it, yeah, would it mean as much to me if I bought them back in 2002 or whatever and like left them brand new in the box the whole time? Not really, because then they are just a fucking commodity. Yep. And yeah, like, well, I mean, that's a shoe that you wore at Complex multiple times. We we even photographed it when back in the day for some story, right? And it was like yep. the beauty of it was how beat they were, right? And I think that's the thing that like we're we're in this weird spot with sneakers where it, it is like you know, and I I feel sort of responsible because working with StockX at the very beginning and like mm -hmm. turning some of this into a commodity is. Like I've also put myself on both sides of it where I'm like mad at myself in a sense, because Oh, I'm mad at kids, myself. Kid, kids now <laughs> kids now look at things as just like, oh well, I'll buy it just to sell it or sit on it. But I also look at the stuff that I have when I pull it out and start to think about the first time I wore it, the or why I wore it. Like the other day, like on on our like we have a Discord for the sneaker <laughs> history um Patreons and the other day I posted a picture, you know, it's, it's, I, I'm going to say, say it's cold here in Sacramento, but you know, 30 <laughs> something degrees. Right. And, uh, I put on, I have like, you know, just a pair of car, like Carhartt, you know, denim, but they're lined and they have the massive, like 
early 2000s like you know uh like opening, opening yeah, yeah, yeah. and you know me like i'm i'm a i'm a proud supporter of nt denim like this has <laughs> been my style from the very beginning shout out to alan iverson right but the other day i posted a picture of 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 my i threw on some answer fours and i'm like looking at it thinking like this is literally what i look like in 2002 these pants are way too big like i mean they the pants fit me i'm not saying like i was in 2002 i was about half my weight and i was still yeah, wearing yeah, the exact yeah. same size stuff and that was actually a fun kind of, you know, like, wow, this is insane kind of moment, but also like, wow, this is an insane kind of moment. Like I should <laughs> probably talk to somebody about this, but, um, so I want to, I want to actually talk to you about a couple of things that you have in the background, just because you mentioned them before we started recording. And I think, you know, one, the, you mentioned like the, um, you know, the, the, your stories and. I think one thing that I've always loved about talking to you is, you know, this isn't intentional, but like, as we, as our relationship carries on, I get to know a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And like, honestly, like, I'm so grateful that you hit me up about the complex job back in the day. I will never forget. That was like a couple days after my birthday. And you were like, Hey, I'm, I might be hiring somebody in New York for complex sneakers. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah like, yeah okay um but i'm really thankful for the times that i mean you know you and i used to walk around the city and grab coffee and go shopping at all those stores that nobody else would think to walk into i mean just thinking of like uh oh shoot now i just lost the name of it. what's the what's the tennis store that's down there oh paragon to, or the paragon General right Sporting yeah, like, yeah, yeah you go into the basement and you're like oh wow they've still got shoes that are sold out, you know, right, right, right. <laughs> like, but I think, you know, all of those stories have been, uh, you know, so inspiring to me, because it makes me reflect on my own stories and my own journey, right. And to be able to like, you know, kind of walk alongside of you for a couple of years there when I was in New York and working with you, I got to hear so many of these things, which is why I wanted to start with the Iverson thing. But you mentioned 1998 All-Star Game, which clearly is one of the greatest, if not the greatest of all time, considering the people that were there. Do you remember like what that, was that like the first all-star game that you got to go to press pass and all kind of access, or was there one before that? That was the second one. And like, it's second actually one, okay. crazy because the first one was 97 in Cleveland and you know, yeah, it was in Cleveland, which is obviously a little bit smaller and all-Star Weekend in 97 wasn't nearly the insanity it is now, but that one was to an extent because that was the NBA at 51. So that was yeah. the one where they shot the 50 greatest besides, you know, Pete Maravich, who unfortunately had passed away. So like, you know, I go out to Cleveland for my first All-Star game and go to like, you know, parties during it or whatever. And here you are like, you know, in a buffet line behind like Moses Malone and Dr. J. And it's just like, all right, this is completely absurd. Like this is, this is beyond anything I I dealt with at any, at any point. Um, you know, and 97 also was Kobe winning the dunk contest. Um, you know, Kobe and Iverson playing in the rookie game. Like it was, yeah. it's like, and obviously Jordan being back in the all-star game for the, well, the second year. But yeah, I mean, it was just an insane thing to be able to witness. And then to do New York the following year and, you know, in my city, um, you know, I still have memories of 
even just seeing like Jordan's shoes like in his locker. And this was again, before like no one's shooting them and posting them on Twitter, you know, it's like you didn't see them until it was real life. So, um, you know, to be there for that and Kobe's first all-star game and like, you know, obviously it gets played over and over again, but that alley-oop that, that KG threw up to Kobe in the game, like just so much absurd stuff and so much of a, I feel like that entire, like maybe even five year period was just such a shift in the NBA and like a changing of the guard where you had like guys like Kobe and Iverson and Garnett kind of, you know, taking over for that previous generation, obviously with some other guys mixed in who maybe only saw, you know, those brief flashes, whether it be Sean Kemp or Steve Smith or, um, you know, unfortunately Penny Hardaway with his injury history. But um, yeah, I mean, just being able to see that level and particularly in 97 and 98, when it was super new to me, seeing how a guy who like, and I guess Iverson was later and Steph was later, but my favorite thing about All-Star in general was always seeing the guy who was a superstar on a bad team get to play with an entire team of guys who were on his level. And like, just thinking how that must have been like, finally finding people who speak your language. You know, it's like finally for Iverson, he could throw these absurd passes to people who were anticipating them instead of to guys where it would just bounce off their hands and go out of bounds. And you're like, well, shit. Like, I, knew I feel like it's a direct shot at the Kings. <laughs> <laughs> but just, you know, like to be able to know someone's open before they are is good. But to know someone's open before they are and have them realize they're about to be open is just that much better. Like, I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I feel like for Steph in particular, like all-star game was just Christmas. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's crazy too. I, I think, you know, I don't want to gas you up too much, but I'm going to have to, because like you guys, you know, I, I don't remember who was with you at slam at that era, but obviously Dennis is probably still involved regularly yeah, at that is. point. And, you know, you, and just like the, the experience from a place where we didn't get that kind of access. Right. And like, I read it a month or two after it happened. Right. Like it right. wasn't like, right. All, I mean, I watched all-star weekend every year religiously up until, you know, maybe 10 years ago or something. Right. And I got to go for a handful of years throughout the years, you know, and, and I'm really thankful for that, but I would not have cared about it near as much without you guys connecting all sorts of those dots that came from, you know, playing in the street and, you know, having, I mean, I literally, when I was a teenager, listened to, like, I had big ass Sony headphones like this on my little disc man. And I wired it through my shirt. Cause I was like, that's how the guys that are, that are mic'd up at the games do it. So it'll work while I play, like not thinking like, what am I doing? You know, like, <laughs> and, and it's, you know, not even a disc man. It was actually the Sony like cassette. Right, right, thing, right, right. But like, you know, but that's how it was. Right. And I felt like connected to not only basketball, but I felt connected to you guys creating the content, writing the stories and, and sharing that at slam. And I think that kind of, that, I mean, that era was obviously an incredible era for basketball and for, for the NBA in general. Right. It, it, and for sneakers too. Right. It, it really, you know, I would say like 95 to 2005, right. There's a 10 year window there that 
essentially defines the entire business and culture and everything you want to see and say now does not exist, right? Even even thinking of like the Jerry Lorenzos and the, you know, Virgil Abloh's, they only cared because of that 10-year window. Like they they wouldn't care about this stuff other, you know, I'm generalizing, but like sure, they don't sure. care about it near as much without that 10-year window. But also like you guys created something, you know, that that's, you know, basically led the way to all these blogs covering this stuff as the internet grew and became a thing, right? And to me, there's there's equally, like, I, you know, it doesn't seem like it in 2020, but I do think that media has a value in the world. And, you know, like media at that time was you guys. It was, you know, it was WGN. It wasn't TNT all the time, right? It was like TNT was starting up and, like, if you had cable, you had it. And WGN was cable, but like you could get it on the cheap cable package that the <laughs> right, neighbor right, right. for me had. So there was like the pillar of like, you know, sports and, and hip hop and, and, you know, media kind of the three pillars of like pr this perfect storm of everything. Right. And, you know, just to kind of give you the some credit there, like you guys really did, especially for, you know, I was living in Colorado Springs at that time and. I know that there's plenty of people listening to this podcast from small towns around, you know, the country and around the world, but like that really was something so incredibly special because it wasn't like it is now where the internet, like if you want to go find, you know, a girl in your hometown or a guy in your hometown and your hometown is 10 people, you can still find them on the internet and be like, Hey, I'm going to tweet you because I don't have the guts to talk to you at the coffee shop. Right. <laughs> and that's a really weird thing. Right. But like, you know, back then the only access that places like that had were through, you know, me standing, you know, at tower records, digging through the old, you know, slam magazines. And the, like when you guys launch kicks and like, I mean, just, there's so many pieces to that, that I think, you know, it, as much as like, I, obviously respect you and, and like the, the keeping a lot of those stories to yourself. I also feel so connected to those early stories without even knowing you until, you know, five, 10 years later, when I started to get to know you through social media and then, you know, we became friends and such, but it's a, it's such a, man, it was just such a powerful time. And, you know, thinking of that, we're, we've talked about this a little bit before, but like, how did you, how did you kind of connect the dots between the, or, or even just get into the more main, like the deeper conversations around sneakers, right? We're in this era now that, you know, a thousand people on Twitter are going to post this, you know, chopped up interview of some footwear designer that nobody has heard the name of, but that person will eventually be famous enough on Instagram that when they design this shoe five years from now, it'll be him that or or her that leaks the info or, you know, that presents the, the original content. Right. And everybody seems to think that they know the story of the designer and stuff like that. But like, I would say that you specifically started that whole conversation, you know, back when I don't know when that was, but probably around that 98. Well, it's funny, era. right? Because... You know, it's funny you bring that up because that to me is the Jason Petrie story, right? Like Jason Petrie started posting his designs on Nike Talk. We end yep. up running some of them in Slam and like sort of the up and coming designer like kind of thing. He gets a job with Fila. He gets a job with Nike. And now he's been doing LeBron's game shoot for like 10 years. You know, like he's essentially like his generation's tinker. 
if anyone can be that. So, um, and I probably shouldn't put that on just one person. There's probably a, a <laughs> no one can be Tinker and B there's other people, you know, who've been doing great work too, but, um, you know, just sort of that preps to pros thing, but as a designer, um, but I don't know. It's funny. Like you mentioned that 10 year span and you say 95 to 05 and maybe this is cause I'm old, but like, to me, it's more like 90 to 2000. I think in two by 2000, like that was when kind of the, the sneaker industry pulled a Skynet and became self-aware and was like, you know, I just remember doing that first kicks issue in 98 or 99. And it was a single sponsor through Nike, but like we had to ask Nike for stuff. So, you know, we're asking Nike, like, can you get us all of your Nike basketball commercials ever on one VHS, which I'm sure I must still have somewhere, you know, can you get us time with Riswold at Wyden and Kennedy? You know, can you get us Spike Lee? Can you get us photos of literally every basketball shoe you ever did? Like that was just us being like, yo, what can we get? Like, how can we yeah. get all this stuff? And once that issue came out, and it did as well as it did. And like, oh, can we talk to Eric Avar? Can we talk to Aaron Cooper? You know, who probably most people had no idea who they were at that point, although they were wearing their shit. Um, For sure. Once that happened and other sneaker companies saw that and Nike saw it, you know, that's when they turn around and start offering stuff up. Like, why don't you feature our designer? Why don't you feature our stuff? So at that point it becomes top down. Like, I think shit is cool. And this is where I've come around a lot onto Bobito's perspective and where'd you get those shit is only cool when it's the consumer calling the shots when companies are putting stuff out being like well hopefully this is cool and like they'll put stuff out on a tier and like maybe the 15 year old kid who does inspire other people on what they buy says nah like the most expensive shit is whatever but this one that's like three from the top, this is the ill shit. Like, this is what I want. And that blows up for no reason. Like, that just doesn't happen as much anymore. Now everything is like tested, you know? It's like the Yeezy comes out in all red, everyone blows up on it. And the next quarter, like every sneaker has to come in all red. Like, as if you can just duplicate yep. what happened. You know, you talked earlier about Paragon and part of the reason I love Paragon even though unfortunately a, I haven't been back there in God knows how long and B they moved their sneakers out of the basement into some like upper thing was like, nah, they sold shit for function, like tennis shoes and running shoes and stuff like that. And like, you kind of had to make your own decisions. That's when I was buying like Babalot tennis shoes. Cause I'm like, yo, these are ill. Like no one's wearing them anywhere else. Like yeah. I just want to get something that's cool. Cause I think it's cool. Not because Babalot meant a lot to me, but because that feeling meant a lot to me. And like, I used to get that feeling from Nikes or whatever, but I didn't anymore because everything felt like it was just being pushed for all these different reasons. Um, but to sort of circle back to your question, like, you know, I look at that period before Slam started, like starting in like 89 or 90, I'll start in 89 when I got my Air Flight 89s, like, <clears throat> A, they were a cool shoe that I could afford. Um, but B, it's like you had like, not only did you have guys wearing in the NBA and in college, you had EPMD wearing them on a record cover. You know, and like that wasn't yeah. planned. I don't think Nike was like, yo, we need to send EPMD some shoes so they can wear them on the cover. <laughs> like, nah, they wanted yeah. to have fly shit on the cover of their record. 
So they parked yeah. their IROC and their whatever it was. I forget. I think it was a Benz, but like head to head, like we just want to floss our shit. Like it, it wasn't yeah. a contrived moment. Like, unfortunately, now we've reached the point where like you look at stuff and it's like, okay, is this legit or not? I have no idea. And even yeah. the stuff that is legit seems like it's not because so much isn't. Um, you know, and I think part of the reason like I cut off the date a little bit earlier is because I look back at like All Star, I think I want to say DC. I want to say 2002 in DC. I always mix up DC and Philly. It was 2002 or 2003. But that was the year like Chris Webber wore the chrome dadas and like yep. Paul Pierce had the green patent leather. Um Air Max shoe, the elite, I think, that he literally got guys to sign before the game. Like, I always remember, like, finding a photo of him in the game and being like, wait a minute, are his shoes autographed while he's playing? <laughs> yeah. You know, maybe yeah. he thought he wouldn't catch people until later. <laughs> but, like, to me, like, and this is where I go back to Bobito, too. I realize I'm making a lot of circles. But, like, when I first read Bobito's book, it bugged me out that he considered the Air Jordan 1 as, like, kind of the end of sneaker culture. Because to me, I was like, yo, like, I grew up in the suburbs. I was 15 years old. I thought the Air Jordan 1 was the greatest thing fucking ever. Yeah. And it took me a while to realize, like, okay, I get this. Because, and that that All-Star game with the Chrome Dadas and everything else was kind of the Air Jordan 1 moment for me, where it's like, you felt like you had something that a lot of people didn't know about. And that yep. you were able to kind of, I don't know if control is the right word, but you were able to talk about and explain to other people and be like, yo, this is why this is cool. And that moment, whether it was Jordan, you know, Nike doing his garish shoe for Jordan with this ball and wings logo that they marketed for six months before it ever came out to get it to blow out of the stores, or it was a company that no one ever heard of making Chris Weber a shoe that looked like a hubcap that he could wear in an all-star game to stand out while literally every other player in that game is also wearing something to try and stand out. It's like, yep. you just have that moment where it's like, damn, this isn't ours anymore. Like this belongs to the companies. And you know, that was almost 20 years ago. And it's fun. I think it became a running joke even while we were at complex and like, I, it's still funny. Like I still think the secret bubble is about to pop. Like I've been saying this for literally like a decade now. And I feel like a crazy yeah. old man and like, I look like a crazy old man, but <laughs> you know, it's just like, wait a minute. Like this hasn't felt authentic in so long. How do people not realize this? But like, no one cares. And, and the commodification ties into it too, because it's like, there's so much of that thought now, like I need to buy this immediately or I won't be able to buy it at all. And if I don't like it, well, I can turn around and sell it because nothing really loses value. Cause a sneaker is just a commodity, which like yeah. to me is ah the worst thing that's ever happened. And like, I, I know you work for StockX and like literally the <laughs> only thing I use StockX for is if I'm selling something, I'll look up like kind of what they're going for roughly on there and just price my shit lower than that. Cause like, A, I don't want to give a percentage to anybody. Yep. B, I do want to like, and I know I'm like running in circles here, but like, no, it's all good. I want to give people a deal. Like, I don't want to sell something for like yeah. the peak, but at the same time, I'm conscious of like, yo, like I don't want to sell something for half of what it's selling for just so someone right. I don't know is going to buy it off me and then just immediately flip it and make a profit. Like 
I shouldn't care, yep. but I still think about that, which which sucks. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, kind of going like to go a little bit further into the conversation of like, you know, I was at, I started to look for for where did you get those? Um, and I also was uh, forget what the other I was like, oh, I have both of these things sitting almost in arm's reach, but not really. I so you won't actually see them. But um, one of the things that I think about that's really interesting about that and what I'm trying to wrap my head around constantly, right, like is <clears throat> and, and you said it earlier, right? Like it's it's your stories that that ultimately drive this and like you know bobito being a touch older and you know being in the city you being from the suburbs like that's a that's an like a drastic difference even though from the outside it doesn't seem like that your experiences are much different and it, it separates your stories right and i my story is is a few years behind that right and it's also from you know not just the suburbs in new york right it's like i'm across the, the damn country trying to figure out why you guys wear these clunky ass Air Force Ones my entire childhood, right? Like it just was not a thing for me. And and part of that is like, you know, having, you know, access to other shoes, right? Like obviously in 85, a Jordan 1 wasn't comfortable in 85, but it was comfortable in 85 because there was nothing else to wear that was right. more comfortable. And, but like, I look at it now and I think of all like, try to think of like what that is for the next generation. And this is something you and I have talked about at length in the past, it's, it's really difficult to understand it, right? Because we have our own story, our own, you know, connections and passions and whatever else that keeps us going and keeps us paying even attention to this stuff. But I talked to, I forget who I was talking to a couple months ago about this and kind of realized that there's one part of it that is similar to like me talking about walking around New York with you going to Paragon um, and those kind of places, those memories for me are what, or what, like I have, uh, you know, Babylots. Like I, I have some of these shoes because of you introducing me to them. I have some because I just walked into a store and thought it was cool and bought right. something. Right. And nobody knows what the hell it is, you know, but like <clears throat> I thought it was cool at the time. So like there's some story for me. And, you know, even taking, like, I guess before I get into that, like the, the next generation, um, one of the things that I, I think, you know, everybody that's our age or older can relate to is like, we look at like the hunt of those shoes and going into a Paragon or I forget the name of the place, but when I was living in, in New York, I would wander around looking for these stores, right? And I came across a store in Little Neck, which is some tennis store, tiny, tiny store, same setup. Like you walk in, it's all tennis. There's a basement. There's a bunch of weird shit down there. Half the stuff is dusty. And I mean, when was, I forget when I was in New York, 2011 or 12 or something, right? Ten, so almost 10 years ago, I was living in, in New York or in Brooklyn and like working with you at Complex. I went into this, oh God, I, I can't remember the name of the store, but it's literally like the mom and pop of all mom and pops, right? It's yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe a thousand square feet. <laughs> Everything is tennis. The guys that are working, like, it's like an old couple that owns it. The kid that works there, like, you know, is like total, like, U.S. Open, all white, you know, polo shirt. And I walk downstairs and there's LeBron threes sitting on the table. And I just thought, what the, f like, it's like a, it's like being in a time warp or something, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
but like that chase and that like wow factor for me is the same as like similar to paragon similar to you know like just the goodwills like we recreate that in a lot of different ways and i think kind of circling back to this next generation they're they're the hunt is still a part of it right they're still mm -hmm. trying to figure out how they can be unique as much as they're like looking at like how they can flip the shoe to afford the next one there's still this element of like what is that story for me and how am i going to like be unique in a sense but then their story rather than you know talking about the the 90s and the 80s 90s 2000s and like you know connection to hip-hop the album covers and stuff like that it's more relatable to i mean you and i didn't do a whole lot of lining up for things but like the occasional times that we did we probably remember who we stood in line for what pair of shoes we stood in line for how pissed we were when we didn't get them or whatever or who what size we got that somebody else that we traded to one of our other friends that right. couldn't be in line with right. us and i think there's a lot of that with this next generation aside from you know covid shitting on everyone this year but like that to me is something that i'm like trying to dig more into with my conversations with the younger kids because i want to understand what that is because there can't possibly just be this interest in like i'm gonna flip this shoe because it's not it's not fulfilling right unless your entire you know i guess maybe if your entire upbringing was watching you know you know diy and flip this house and all these things where you the whole concept is just like i'm just flipping everything and i don't care about anything but money but like i don't think that's the case even when people say it is right it's like you know, there's some sort of actual memory tied to that, whatever that is. And I wonder what that's going to be for, you know, this next generation, because with the internet, it's a lot different. But then at the same time, I'm looking at all these, you know, apps that are being made, these, you know, discord groups, these cook groups and all that. And they're seeking out the same shit that we seeked out. Like you hit it spot on, right? You had something that people didn't necessarily know about. And you, it was like you and your group of friends, me and my group of friends thought it was cool because we could talk about sneakers in front of other people and they didn't really understand what the hell we were talking about. Right. right. And like, that was right. the beauty of it. That's the same thing with music conversations, coffee conversations, you know, cars, like we get into these like very deep trenches of topics and that's where you, you really connect with people where you're like, Oh, this person is, equally as insane about this as I am. I'm going to be friends with them. But, but I think also it's like signifiers too. Right. And like, I don't know, this came up maybe on, well, probably on Twitter because it's the only place I talk to people. But like, you know, just the idea that you see people now and you don't know, like, are they wearing that shoe because they went to that shop or because they know people there or just because it's expensive? And same thing for the shirt, you know? And it's like, I feel like maybe like your generation almost is kind of where that died out. Because it's like, for you, like, I look and like, I know you went to FTC. Like, I know you're a Kings fan. Like, <laughs> That stuff means something, you know, you could look at this and like, yeah, I listened to Motorhead, like I bought this hat at Supreme and whatever the hell that was like, um, even my watch, like, is this random, whoops, Snoopy Timex that with him at a yeah, yeah. like, that's me It all. It all matters, you know, and it's like, there's become this such thing where it's like, you got to wear like whatever the newest, coolest thing. And like, but what does that say about you? That doesn't say anything. That just says like, well, I spent a lot of money on this or like, this is the newest, hottest thing. But like, I, I feel I can't help but feel like it should mean more than that. And, you know, going back to what you said about that store, like, 
I remember like in 97, I went to the McDonald's All-America game in Norfolk Beach, Virginia. And I walked into some random sporting goods store because I was just wandering around like the day of the game. And it, it was like the whole store was a time warp back to 89. And like, it's crazy to think about now because that's only eight years. That's nothing. If I walked into a yeah. store now and their entire stock was eight years old, I don't even know if I would notice. Like, because everything's <laughs> so jumbled together between retro and like the new shit yeah. all being like mesh and knit and whatever else. Like, I literally probably could be like a block away and be like, wait a minute, that stuff was old, wasn't it? But back then, I mean, the difference between 97 and 89 was infinity. I mean, yeah. sneaker history was still linear. There wasn't much retro happening yet. There was hardly any. So like they had like literally like New Balance Worthies on display and Air Force Threes and Air Flight 89s. And like I ended up buying a pair of Flight 89s because I had them in high school. And I'm like, shit, when will I ever find these again? And of course, the horrible epilogue to that is I never wore them and they're cracked all through. So <laughs> good job, me. Um, but no, I just think about that moment and like pre-social media, pre um pre-flight club very beginnings of ebay maybe and it's like a current day person walking in there would be like yo first of all lock your door second of all tell me where the truck rental place is third of all what credit card do you take i'm buying your entire stock but at the same time you know it wouldn't happen anymore like that's so rare because of ebay starting yeah. out and now stock x and stadium goods and whatever else like you can look at your phone in a second and find out how much all this stuff is worth. So like the yep. chances of walking into a shop and finding a bunch of old stuff at retail or below is like almost impossible because most of them have been cleared out either by owners who realized what they were sitting on or people like us who went in and were like, yo, I'm just buying everything. So like, you're not really going to stumble on that kind of thing anymore. And I feel like for this generation, even that, even the idea of that must seem so foreign just because like, wait a minute, isn't everything for sale all the time? You know, like, because the secondary market has become such a huge thing. Like, I don't know. Like, I just wonder if I was a kid now, A, would I get into it the same way I did when I was a kid and B, would I get into it at all? And the answer to A is definitely no. And the answer to be like, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I would yeah. bother. Like part of me is like, yo, just, just get whatever. Um, yeah. And I feel like there are a lot of kids who do think like that because I know like when I was living near a high school, like most of the kids I saw weren't wearing like super hyped up, crazy retro shit. They were wearing Kyrie's, they were wearing KD's, they were wearing yep. like LeBron's, they were wearing like current basketball shoes, kind of the same way we did when we were kids. And I think like, yep. I think it can be so overwhelming at times that like, yo, I'm just, I'm just going to wear, you know, what the cool guys on the court are wearing right now. So, um, you know, I, I, I don't know. It's hard. It's hard. I'm sure I've told it's, you before, like I walk into like a, a foot locker or whatever in the mall and like, I just look and it's like, man, I, I just get overwhelmed. Like it just blows my mind. It's like how much yeah i mean there's there so much yeah it it's i mean that's the thing like you know thinking of like the flight 89 is one of my favorite shoes and always has been it was one of the first times that i was like i never got originals because 
you know, we just didn't have money for that stuff. But it was like, I tried to sell my parents on the idea of, hey, these are on sale and they're not Jordan prices. Right, right, $70 right. on sale. Like, can I get them? Um, but eventually, like, that became like, oh, I'm going to get these all the time. And I love this shoe and blah, blah, blah. And I did right. the same thing, right? Like, definitely bought pairs, didn't wear them, you know, dig them out. And next thing you know, they're cracked. But it, it, it actually, uh, one of the things about that that's really interesting, thinking about, like, the next generation, I think, and I, I don't, I've never met Sean. But like, I think round two has done an incredible job of recreating that experience of being able to walk into a store and just find absolutely crazy stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Because for the longest time, they didn't have anything for sale online. Right. Right. And like you had to go right. into the store and obviously that's changed a little bit with COVID and I'm not sure how they're doing things now, but like, it's almost like in a, in a weird way, you know, I, I'm not sure how old Sean is, but I'm sure he's like slightly younger than I am. Right. So it's like, he's almost taken that same thing that I looked up to you and you looked up to like, and just been like, well, this is the experience that I always heard about. And now I'm just going to create it for the next person. Well, right. Like, you know, it's funny. Cause I wrote about Sean for like a bleacher report thing. And I've still like barely spoken to him ever. Like I didn't talk to him for that. And like, I think I've bumped into him, but maybe that's it. Like I've kind of just seen what he's doing from afar but like I look yeah. at it as, you know, with a lot of his stuff was he was going to like flea markets and buying vintage. Yeah. And like, you know, to me, unfortunately on the East Coast, like you don't really have that option. Like those don't really exist out here anymore and they stopped doing them in the city. Um, but, you know, that was sort of the equivalent of the 80s and 90s retail experience because you never know what you're going to find. And yeah. again, That's you're true. dealing with people where it's like they're just selling stuff to sell it. Like they don't necessarily know like the exact value of everything because that makes it yep. boring to be honest with you like and that makes it not as special like there's things i'm looking up like for example like i want a uh ministry did this t-shirt in the 90s with a mosquito that's also a uh a needle and it's like just one fix it's a puss head shirt mm. and i'm like okay it's a dope shirt i really want one but like, I look it up and most of them are like $250 from Japan. And it's like, okay, I could kind of justify this. Like I've sold enough over the past couple of months, like spending $200 on one t-shirt is livable if it's something I really want. But like, it doesn't mean the same. Like I remember digging through thrift stores in the nineties and finding tour shirts. And like, I know I had one ministry shirt that I ended up selling, but you know, finding something for six bucks on a thrift store rack yep the same exact thing it's so much cooler to get it that way than it is to find it on ebay and pay someone 300 dollars or 250 dollars for it like yeah and i'm sure for sean it's the same thing where it's like yeah you could you could buy all this stuff from someone who's already selected it but that's not as fun as going to a flea market and digging it out of a pile of like you know, promo t-shirts from 2015. Um, yeah, for sure. And it's a kind of a paradox though, because, well, that's exactly what round two is doing. They've already selected that stuff. So you're digging through it, but it's already pre-sorted. Yeah. Um, yeah. You're already, you're already up your percentage, right? Like they've like, already, I, they've I already taken out. The... Knock on them. Cause I've sold yeah. stuff there and I've bought stuff there. And like, I have felt like I've done well on certain things because the things I value are different than the things that 
maybe a kid value. So like a current Supreme shirt that's literally still in the store possibly is selling <laughs> yeah. for 150 bucks. And then a Supreme shirt from like 2001 that I was stupid and bought in a medium because I thought I was skinnier than I was is like a hundred. And to me, yeah. that still feels like a good deal, you know, or like a Slayer shirt from 1995 or like my current pair of black cement Supremes. I bought them at round two. I paid like $450 for a pair of very lightly worn ones in a box. And like, I remember like, cause I followed them on IG and they popped up one day and I forget what I was doing, but I couldn't go there that day. And I'm like, well, shit, those are going to be gone. And I went in the next afternoon when I had time and I looked around, I didn't see them. And I'm like, yo, like, did you sell these? I'm like, yeah, I think so. I'm like, wait a minute. Like, what's that? And like, they were behind him. They were still there. <laughs> and like, people are spending that much money on things that literally just came out. Like yeah. that might've still been when Yeezy was big. So like, People are dropping like a grand on a pair of Yeezys that came out the weekend before. And here's this yep. pair of Dunks that came out at this point, almost 20 years ago. I've never really figured out exactly how many pairs they made, but like 1200, 1500 yeah. max Yeah. for half that, that just sit. And like, you know, obviously now that's not the case. Now I look at prices of this shit and I'm like, oh my God, like, thank God I got that yeah. pair then because I can never afford them now. <laughs> yeah. I feel like yeah. five years ago, you could buy a dead stock pair of Supreme Lows for a grand and now they're like eight grand. Yeah. I, mean, I look at some yeah, of this stuff on eBay. I mean, on uh, IG even, like lightly worn, $26,000. Like what? Like, this, <laughs> yeah. Yo, if someone in like 90, I don't know. Even like when I was stacked, you know, in like 2001 was like, I'll give you 50 grand for everything you own. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And now exactly. like, one goes so for that much. Like, <laughs> yo, it's crazy. Like the money involved and like, I realize I'm spending half of this conversation just repeating things I've typed on Twitter, but like, <laughs> you know, it's kind of come up in this conversation where it's like, Sneakers were cool when they were like signifiers for weird people who like weren't good at other things. And like, you know, we could see each other on the street and be like, yeah, that's dope. Like, yeah, you could buy this one of 250 even limited drop. And like, you could get it because not a lot of people were looking for it. But the other people who knew what they were looking at were psyched on it. Yeah. And the problem is now and like, I'm partially responsible for this. You're partially responsible for this. I'm partially responsible for you being responsible. <laughs> but like now everyone knows and now all it is is money. Like that's literally all it is. And like, if you hit on something like that, like if I got lucky and there was some drop of 250 pairs at a retailer and I got lucky and hit, I don't even know if I'm gonna wear them because I know that someone else who wants them more is willing to pay like five grand and i'm a moron yeah. if i wear a pair of shoes i could just get five grand for yeah. so it kind of takes away that aspect of like yo like he's wearing those like no now like yeah he's wearing them but he is pj tucker wearing them in the tunnel because he's making <laughs> yeah. 15 yeah. million a year you know and apologies yeah. to pj because that might he might be making less than that or well, more than that I, I don't remember but it just I don't know. It went from being like, oh shit, you know somebody, or oh shit, 
you know this place or you know this artist yeah like oh you have five grand and yeah. to me that that just takes away a lot of the fun of it at this point because even if you are that person who's like who hit on this pair for like 200 bucks and is like fuck it i love these i'm gonna wear them the automatic assumption of anyone who sees you in them is going to be like oh yeah you bought those on on stadium yeah. for five grand or ten grand or whatever yeah you know like i mean if that's you, if you hit if you got lucky and bought a pair of paris dunks in 2004 or whenever it was they released and you bought them because you love them and you spent like 250 dollars or whatever they retailed for at various skate shops and you wear them the automatic assumption is going to be like oh yeah you're rich and you bought those on the secondary market which yep. sucks i mean that that's it's just ugh. i don't know it's kind of interesting too because like to yeah and so for me personally like the only shoe i mean maybe not the only shoe but the only shoe that i've regularly spent a a decent amount of money on to have is the diamond ducks right like hands down you know i would say one of my favorite dunks of all time you know diamond being you know before it was diamond being just a you know a san francisco company that supported all the skateboarders and all this you know, like it wasn't Diamond Supply Co. Everybody from Rick Ross to, you know, Obama's wearing a diamond t-shirt. It was like kind of a local, like you knew them because of hanging out and not that I could ever skate, but like <laughs> hanging out and wishing I could skate. Right. And like you knew them because they were connected to all the people within that community. And so that shoe was, I know that by the time it came out, it was obviously a big deal. And, you know, it was was still massively popular and they were a big brand by that time, or at least on their way to being a big brand. But I've had probably four pairs, four or five pairs since then. Right. And every time they get incredibly beat up, the the swooshes are ripped off and you know, the, the, the Chrome or whatever, the diamond, like it, they just get really beat. Right. And eventually I'm like, Oh, I should get another pair. Cause these stink so bad. I can't get them to like, <laughs> I just don't want to wear the smell more than anything. Right, right, right. And inevitably I go hunt them down and find, you know, usually it's like friend of a friend of a friend and it's like, okay, cool. This is a, you know, I think the most I've ever paid for a pair is like $400 and I, That's you know, I good. bought a pair. Yeah. And I bought a pair maybe three years ago for that price. Right. And, you know, market price for that shoe is well beyond that. Well, you know, was well beyond that when I paid that price, but it's also one of those things where, you know, like you said about selling things, you people are aware and they also just want to make sure that it's going to a place that people appreciate or to someone that's going to appreciate it. But it's funny because the last couple of times I've seen them and thought, maybe I should wear those. I've literally had that thought of this just looks like I'm trying to be a giant dick flexing on people because I spent thousands of dollars on a pair of sneakers. And that's not the vibe that I'm going for at all. Usually I'm in a beat up pair of questions or some chucks and like super simple or whatever, you know, like just beat pair that sits at the door for weeks at a time until I eventually throw it out. And like, that's a really kind of new, new realization for me personally, because I'm like, I, I don't think of that ever. Right. Like, don't get me wrong. There's, I have a bunch of, you know, just like you probably like exclusive stuff and limited pairs and blah, blah, blah. It's like, I got to I got to be a part of the Soul Collector era of this shit. The way that you were a part of the Slam era of like, you know, I mean, P- 
people don't even know that like a slam Tai Chi and one Tai Chi exists. Right. But, like right, to right. me, I looked at that and was like, Oh my God. And then you were like, yeah, I had those, you know, like, it was like, like that's kind of the, the, the generational changes through this. And like, I think the, the, for me, the, the, the value of all those shoes, it still exists. There's a lot of things that I like about them and want, you know, want to share those stories and have those connections with other people. But most of the time it's not the shoes that I'm actually talking to these other people about at this point. Right. Like, I mean, I can't remember the last time even you and I had a a conversation about sneakers because especially in 2020, why should we stop? I'm going to, I'm going to rant a little bit, but like, why should we talk about sneakers when, the world is in a fucking shitty place and we need to talk about more important shit. But I am going to encourage you to continue to talk about sneakers and sports and all the things you do, because I had a real, like, I don't want to call it awakening because it wasn't like, you know, God knocking on the roof and, and, you know, opening my eyes to things. But like a, a month or two ago, maybe three months ago now, some of the guys that are Patreon members and in our discord group and like just big supporters of the podcast, you know, we don't have like a massive audience. We're still relatively small compared to everybody else. That's got big money behind them, but we have like people that really give a shit about what we do. And I'm incredibly thankful for that. But like specifically we had a, a somebody reached out and basically just said, like, I was complaining about sneakers, not being important enough to talk about on the podcast or do shit with. Cause it's like, you know, March, April, May, June, by the time July rolls around, I'm ready to burn this all down and, yeah, and live yeah, on a yeah. boat in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> but um, the, you know, one of the guys messaged me and, and basically said, yo, I just want to say like, as much as you're saying that, I want to, I want you to know that you guys are my escape from this reality. So when you go searching for a movie to watch, a, 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 an album to listen to and get away from it, I get to listen to you guys and it takes me out of my daily grind of having to go to work and having to deal with all the shit that's going on. And like, I get a little emotional and worked up about it right now because I don't ever look at myself as that. And, you know, putting shit out there on the internet, writing about stuff in magazines, like people that you don't even know you've been, you know, you've touched them in ways that that sounds really weird. You've inspired them in ways that, you know, I, I think, you don't necessarily get to see and experience on a regular basis now. So just to like throw it out there, I think that like you, your stories, as much as it's really difficult the same way I was going through it with, with this sneaker history shit six months ago, it's still very valuable to a lot of these people that don't think it's valuable because a lot of them, it sparked something that they, they didn't understand. Right. And they didn't know about. And, uh, a kid a few days ago reached out to me because I recently like started doing the outside the box podcast again. And I'm going to get more into like the, I guess like the business and like getting people opportunities in the sneaker world. Right. Where like, you know, we, we did that with Tiffany and Jacques and then Brandon and right. I Jacques years back, but we started talking about things that I just I'm more passionate about. Right. And that uh, started a conversation with somebody that i recognized his screen name for, for years. He's always supported what I've done. And, you know, he basically wants to be a footwear designer. And I'm like, like, I just looked at that as like, wow, this is somebody that like, you know, you don't know that because all I see is their screen name and their avatar. And I'm like, cool. Thanks for supporting. You know, I'm going to like your comment, maybe reply occasionally, but 
he kind of got into that was like, yo, I, I, you know, I'm just thankful that you're bringing this back because I feel like it's something that can be another way for me to kind of understand how I can get my foot in the door and, and make something happen for myself. And, you know, like talking about the stories, talking about all this stuff, just like, you know, thinking about what all that means, you know, it really is, uh, as much as like, there's so much right now that you, like you and I are both super frustrated about, about the way things have been going. It is nice to have that, you know, from people where it's like, even though they don't reach out to you on Instagram, maybe when they pick up that pair, that story is going to be 30 years from now. They're going to be like, I fucking got this pair. They were sitting outside of the Taco Bell and, you know, right, whatever, right. you know, Long Island. And like, that's a part of it. So you're still, you know, you're, you're really putting a lot out there. I think that, that, you know, you might not feel personally connected to, but it's going to be really awesome for those kids that, you know, ultimately tell their kids about, yeah, you're, you're never going to believe this, this, this random dude that I started following on Instagram started giving away shoes. And I started driving around Long Island, picking up shoes. Right, I got a whole. Right, right. <laughs> oh yeah. No, no, no. Part of the reason I did stop like Instagramming all of it was because one dude got like three or four pairs in a row. And I'm like, dog, I'm not trying to build your closet. Like <laughs> I kind of want to like have this be a little more random. So I started just leaving stuff out without posting anything about it. So I mean, I've driven back around to make sure they're gone sometimes and like, yeah. you know, move something if it's not in a high traffic enough area. But, you know, and again, for me, like, I, I don't even want to sound like I'm being ungrateful. Like, for me, the, the, the giving aspect of it is what matters. Like, just leaving it somewhere is what matters. Like, it's cool to hear from someone who finds them. But if they don't ever even see the note that I wrote on the box top or like on a whatever, like, that's fine, too. Like, Honestly, it's more about just like stopping it from being just another dusty box in storage and like let it go have a life before like it starts to rot and I throw it away. You know, like I don't think it triggered this, but I remember seeing like Shuseum was auctioning off someone's Jordan collection and they were literally all dead stock and for like 20 years. And I, it just made me sad. I'm just like, damn, like you bought shoes for this long and like sure yeah obviously this isn't everything and it's not the full story and i'm sure you wore stuff obviously but like to buy all that stuff and never wear it and just turn around and sell it like yeah i don't know that it's just depressing to me and like that definitely you know helped me look at this stuff in like a little bit of a new light and even the fact that like back in 07 08 you know when the when the economy crashed the first time and yep. uh you know, living in the city and like had all this stuff and I sold off a bunch and like some of it, I was like, man, I don't know if I want to get rid of this. Like I agonize about it, but I think about it and it's like, as much as I agonize about that stuff, as much as I sold stuff that part, sometimes I wish I never sold. I've never tried to like buy any of it back. Like I've never gone like, damn, I sold like my entire first run of SBs. Like I should buy a pair of molders again. Nah, like yeah. all this stuff's just gone. So like now when I agonize over something, like in the back of my mind is like, wait a minute, you've sold like literally hundreds of pairs of sneakers and never regretted it so much that you went out and bought it again. So like, why would you keep this? Like, just get rid of it, you know? And it actually makes me happy to hear from people when they want to buy it or when I leave something out or if I offer something to someone, um, you know, that they're psyched on it and they're going to wear it. Cause it's like, yo, like some of these have literally just sat and gone from like my apartment to my office 
to storage over a period yeah. of like 15 years, like for someone to wear it now, like that's so much better. That means so much more than just the money. And like, like you said, like for the past couple of months, literally pretty much all I've worn has been a pair of Hoka Arcalis and my old pair of Etnies Muranas. They're like, I ride BMX in and now I ride the rollers at night and like just wear wherever. Like I'm not even trying to wear any of this stuff. And, yeah. you know, like you said with the diamonds and it kind of makes me sad too, where it's like, I used to wear like my Supremes cause like I wanted to get in conversations yep. or like, you know, cause I knew the people who would notice that shoe are like super heavy into whatever it was. And now I don't wear that shit for exactly the same reason. Cause I don't want to get into a conversation about it. Cause I don't want to be like, I don't want to hear like, yo, you know how much those are worth? Like, yes, I know how much they're worth. I also know how much I paid for them. And like, I don't care. Like yeah. the whole reason I wear them is cause I like, like, you know, fragment ones, fragment one, like if I got a new pair of fragment ones now, I'd be hard pressed to wear them cause they go for so much. Like it's absurd. Yeah. Like, why would I keep these? I'm not, and I don't mean to pick on them, but I'm not PJ Tucker. I don't have yeah. the, you know, I don't have an NBA salary to fall back on. So yep. you know, now I've worn them enough. I'm just going to keep wearing them. Like, and I'll still wear them sometimes, I guess. Have I been you just got to flip it on, you know, when, when somebody says, you know how much those are worth that you just got to flip it on and say, yeah, but you know how much value I got out of them? Like, well, or you know like yeah, memories I, I got coming in this, but not only that, yeah, I know how much they're worth. They're worth $150 or 160, <laughs> yeah. whatever the box price was yeah. like. It just doesn't like, it doesn't matter like that. Um, yeah. I mean, I have other pairs of ones. Like I have a pair of 2015 Chicago's that like, I've still never worn. And I'm like, am I really going to wear these? Like someone, if someone <laughs> will spend like 1500 bucks, like that's like basically an entire new road bike. Like, why would I, keep these? <laughs> like I have enough shoes. Do yeah. they mean something to me? Yes. But like, does that meaning itself even matter anymore? And like, I don't know. Like sometimes I lean towards no, which sucks. So, I never really thought I would, you know, kind of be like that, but it's hard not to. Um, definitely, man. Definitely. So that, that actually leads me into one thing that I wanted to ask you about is like, you know, obviously I think I, I had the same experience 2007, 2008. I got rid of almost everything that I had with the exception of basically questions um, and you know, some of the, some of the first Jordans, um, that I, that I got, um, that I bought with my own money. Um, those are the kind of like the, the memories that I chose to keep the rest of it was like, Hey, we need to pay rent. And this is just how it was. And we're obviously in a different spot where people don't even understand what that was because now we have this weird, everyone thinks that it's not a recession, recession kind <laughs> of thing, but I don't go too far into that. But like one of the things that I. I, that you said that was interesting is like not wanting to go back to those, you know, let's say hundred hundreds of shoes that you sold. Are there other, are there still, do you still go into assuming COVID is not a thing and you're able to go back into a store again. Right. But like, are there still shoes for you that you, when you walk into round two, you know, in the city, are you, are you in the back of your mind thinking, I hope I find this type of thing ever? Yeah, I mean, I guess so. I'm, unfortunately, a lot of them are kind of unobtainable at this point. Like, I would love still to get a pair of white cement Supreme Lows, but like, I understand those are probably not 
plausible at this point. You know, like there are certainly various like 85 Jordan ones I would love to have. But again, like it's kind of, I've been pretty much priced out of it, you know, barring yeah. becoming like some sort of weird celebrity somehow or, you know, winning the lottery. Um, so, yeah, I mean, even if some of those orange box SBs showed up, I, I would consider them, you know, preferably and already worn so they're not prohibit prohibitively expensive. Um, but at the same time, like, if I look at it in terms of like, if I look at shoes, and this is sort of the other perspective shift I always need to have, like, if I look at it in terms of what I have, rather than what I want, like, I don't need more. You know, I don't need to yeah. add something else into my quote unquote rotation that really doesn't even exist anymore. You know, at this point, I'm content to wear whatever's nearest the door for the most part. Um, and like the other the other odd awakening moment I had, like was going through a box and getting rid of a lot of it. And I came across my 94 ones, which I bought at a, a sporting goods store in, in Delaware in 94. I paid retail because I had no idea they'd go on sale. I figured everyone was like me and was psyched on all this stuff re-releasing and yep. little did I know. Um, you know, but I've worn those a lot and like they'd sat in a box for a while. So one of the shoes was actually, I don't know how it happened. It was like totally twisted out of shape. Like it wasn't even shaped like a foot anymore. Like I had to put it on <laughs> to like get it to readjust. Um, the red outsole is worn through the white, you know, one of the laces, one of the original red laces broke and I knotted it to keep using it. Like, so it's still yep. in there like that. Like I never replaced it. Cause where do you find red, like 63 inch laces back in like the two thousands? I don't yeah. know. I never managed to find them. And like, I sat there with them and you know, I thought about it and I'm like, go back to 94. That's over 25 years ago. I've probably had I mean, I'm going to say a thousand and that's being very like probably underestimating, but you know, had a thousand or more pairs of shoes passed through my hands since that time. And I tried to think of like how many of those made me feel the same way I did when I got this pair of wands. And I mean, I, I couldn't enumerate exactly which ones, but I'll bet I could count on one hand, you know, yeah. and part of it was because like when I bought that pair, I hardly had any sneakers like that was still like on the cusp of like when I was still getting two pairs a year or whatever. So that was right when it was like, wait a minute, I can get more pairs. I can have yeah. extra pairs in my closet and like not wear them all the time and like destroy one and get one new pair. And then the old pair becomes the old pair and <laughs> whatever, like breaking out of that cycle. Yeah. And it's one of those things where it's like, and I'm sure like drug addicts probably eventually have that same feeling, but it's like, wait a minute, I've been chasing <laughs> this feeling the whole time. And like, it's never been like that since it's always been like, okay, this next one is going to be like that. And it yeah. isn't. And you're just like, well, shit, maybe the next one will. And you repeat that for literally decades, which is kind of embarrassing, but you know, it also sort of helped me realize like short of those, the Black Cement Supremes. Um, again, there's probably a couple others, but like those two in particular stand out as being like, that was just a moment. I remember getting those Supremes when I worked at Slam. I went out like during lunch, I brought them back to the office, immediately put them on my feet and probably didn't take them off for like five years. 
you know? Yeah. <laughs> or then like go to bed. Like I just wore those every single day. And it's like, if there's a shoe you feel that way about, why do you need hundreds more? You have yep. that one shoe already. You know, I, it's just like, it's such a weird habit when you look at it that way. You know, it's like, it would be like if I went out and dreamt about owning a Porsche 911 and I finally went out and bought one. And the next day, instead of going out and driving it on like the coolest road I could find, I just left it in the garage and started looking for Lamborghinis. Like, <laughs> what are you doing? You already have what you really want. Like, why are you still that chasing? That's such a great analogy. The yeah. is fucking <laughs> over. You know, like, and I'm sure there are people who are like completists, car collectors, who have a shit ton of money and just buy everything. But for the most part, like, if you're into cars like that, you buy the one you love and you drive it all the time. Yep. And like in sneakers, it's the opposite of that. It's like you buy the thing you love and then it's like you got to figure out what you love next and buy that too. Like, no, you, you did it. You got what you wanted. Like, why are you still chasing? You caught it. Yeah. Yep. It's just yeah, such a weird crazy. thing to me. And like that, you know, that sort of helped in terms of like, you know what? I can let a lot of this other stuff go because sure, I could wear it. And like, maybe it'll give me a moment of like, oh, this is cool. Like, I'm glad I had this. But why would I wear something that's like my 300th favorite shoe when I own like my favorite and my second favorite and my third favorite? And every day I wear something weird just to wear something weird is a day I'm not wearing that. Like, that doesn't make sense to me. I don't know. There's, well, there's been like a few things like that. There's been a few things like that. It it does it it does sound weird in this context, but I'm gonna just go back to the Babylon conversation, right? Like that is part of what I think I used to find more joy in was the what are those conversations? Not the internet. What are those? But literally someone walking up to you and saying whoa, those are crazy. Where'd you get those? What is that? Tell me about that. Right. Because we talked about it, you know, many times where it's like, you, you even referenced, you even said it in this, you know, a, a, a bit ago where it's like, you had that, like, you didn't even have to talk to that person walking across the street or up the, up the car in the subway. Right. Like you saw the shoes from, you know, 15 rows away and you connected eyes. And it was like, you, this guy, this guy and I, or this girl and I, or whatever, have a connection that, people might not understand. Right. right. And yet right. we can, we can, we don't even have to talk about it or sometimes you do and you become friends and blah, blah, blah. But like that part of it. And I don't know if it's maybe just like 2020 and COVID and everything sucks, but like that part of it is completely missing for me now. Right. Because I see people wearing things. I, I, I take that back. I've shifted that into like trying to be more involved with the people that support the podcast and like having that experience with people where it's like, you know, like they're excited about a shoe. I'm excited to share like that story about wearing the Iversons and looking like it's 2002 again. But like, it's, it's, that piece is definitely missing for me. And I'm not to, I guess it's a little bit off topic, but I was, I want to ask you too, because you brought up the Supreme Dunks do you remember like the first time you actually went to Supreme and, and like got something was that were the dunks that first, obviously the first, you know, big thing as far as you're important to you. Right. But like, I think we're just in this weird spot and you saw touched on Supreme and people paying twice retail for a shirt. That's literally sitting in the store a few blocks right. away. 
what like I wonder like what that was like for you as somebody who you know obviously that world they they weren't necessarily BMX right but they also weren't that there also wasn't BMX there wasn't a supreme BMX right supreme right. skate yeah they did like, like there's so much crossover skate, in those yeah like years back right and like yeah you know, yeah yeah what was that like when you first started kind of in in that world of of you know on that side of the I don't know what you would call it but supreme I mean it, it <laughs> like, was definitely like a I don't know. I don't know. I mean, cause it is like, you know, 20 years ago now. And like, I'm, I still can't quite remember. Like, I'm pretty sure I bought like a t-shirt or something before the dunks. Like I would have to even go back through the book or something and like actually date it and kind of see like, yeah. Oh, what's the earliest piece I own. Um, or if I got rid of it since. And it's like, I don't know. I mean, yeah, it was a skate shop, but it also kind of fit back then into that whole, like, you know, PNB, Triple Five Soul, like city, yep. New York specific streetwear kind of thing, you know, and like even like the vintage Jordan kind of thing. And it, it all, it all did fit together like that. Hell, you know what? I might even bought, cause the Supremes didn't come out until after um, the first round of dunks dropped. So, you know, I definitely bought like most of that first round of dunks there. Like I bought yeah. Mulder's there, I bought Geno's there, I bought um, I bought the chocolates there, the Hulks, the and then like a bunch of those secondary colors, the Giants ones, the red on black, the black on red, like the the I forget what green they were. Like I mean, I bought all of those, and I bought most of them there. Um, and even then, like I think that started to bring in a new crowd for them. You know, I'm sure they had yeah. people buying like teas or whatever earlier, but um, you know, that probably marked the beginning of the transformation of Supreme to being more of a, you know, from a skate shop that sold t-shirts to like a streetwear shop that also sold skateboard stuff, yeah. um, to now like a company that can sell for $2 billion, which still like blows my mind and I have no idea. And like, shout out to James Jebbia, but good Lord. Um, seriously. So I, you know. I don't know. I mean, back then it was cool too. Cause it's like, you had to go there. There was no online. There were no other locations. I, maybe they'd already opened in Japan or, or yeah, maybe they, they had a Tokyo spot yeah. at that point, but, but not much, you know? So it's like, it's this little ass shop on Lafayette street that most people don't know about. And most people aren't even going to, you know? And like, yep. eventually it kind of became like just a, a part of the Saturday rounds, you know, you go to, yeah. you go to yellow rap bastard, you go to a life Rivington, you go to Supreme, you go to clientele, um, you go into Soho to go to union and Stussy, um, and just kind of see what's come, see what's there. Cause a lot of stuff would just randomly pop up like the dunks or whatever, or like Supreme, the Stussy blazers, like stuff like that, you would know about in advance. And yeah, you might have to line up or, you know, hopefully, you know, somebody who'll, you know, find your size in the back. But, you know, I still look at it. I have them. I guess I put them back in storage. But, you know, I have the original uh, Viatech Dunks. And, like, I just happened to cross those in A-Life. And it's like yeah. I tried them on and was like, man, okay, I don't wear anything like this. Like, do I really want these? <laughs> and I literally agonized over it. And, yo, like, those were $60. Like, that's, like, nothing. <laughs> that's not even money anymore when it comes to sneakers. Yeah. Like, 
there's no way anyone would even consider like, do I want these or not? Like, no, people don't even ask themselves that anymore. I don't think, but like, for me, yeah. it was like, damn, am I going to actually wear these? Like, and I did like, they're kind of beat up now and I'll still wear them. Actually, no, they are in here somewhere, but, uh, and it still has the price sticker on it, which to me is worth more than the actual shoe itself. Cause it brings me back to like actually yeah. doing that, you know, and looking at those shoes in a life in those wooden cubby holes and seeing this random shit that like was only for sale in like Japan um, or even on 34th and like going to VIM where I bought like the first dunks in 99 when they came back out, you know, I still have a couple pairs of those. I think I still have my Kentucky highs and the Syracuse highs. And I swapped the laces as like some sort of proto super thing where it's like, Oh, it's an orange and white dunk with blue laces and vice versa. Um, So like, you know, back then, like, you kind of had to find that stuff on your own. And all that stuff ended up on sale anyway. Like, people weren't checking for it like that. It wasn't like, it wasn't the same where it sells out immediately. And you had to make choices still, you know, like, yeah, I ended up with a lot of shoes. And I ended up a little, you know, I probably had like, 100 pairs when 99.999% of the people in the world didn't have 100 pairs. Yeah. Yeah. But like, you know, it was the job I was in, it was what I was into and like one sort of fed the other. And now I think it's become so normalized. Like, I feel like having a hundred pairs of shoes is nothing now. Like your average kid has a hundred pairs of shoes and maybe I'm just like being, uh, you know, maybe that's wrong. Maybe, maybe, maybe that is wrong. But um, I do feel like a lot more people now have like, quote unquote, collections than they used yeah. to. Um, well, I think people, and it's people also, are and I'm sure this happened too, but I know like, and I think specifically of the, uh, what do you call it? The military blue Jordan fours and oh, also yeah. the lava tech challenges. I had pairs of shoes I would buy. And because other people had them at that point, I'm like, no, nah, I'm going to put these away and I'll wear them later. For sure. I swear to God, the military blue fours <laughs> got retroed two more times before I even brought out the pair I had. <laughs> And like, that's when I finally like decided like, yo, I'm not even stashing stuff anymore unless it's like yeah. super, super, super rare. Cause if it's a regular retro, it's just going to come back again. There's no point in buying something to hold on to it. Yep. You know, and kind of at this point, it's like, why would I spend the money on something that I might wear later and have to like find room for it and spend the money on it when I could just wait until like when I want it, it'll probably be back out again and I can get rid of something else. Like, why do yeah. I need to be the one to like actually store this shit when I can just let it, let it happen? Yeah. I mean, I definitely have the same, you know, even, even stuff now where like, I, 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 uh, I, I'm going to try to upload some of my stories to YouTube. And I just recently did one where I, I, I basically did a sneaker cleanse in a sense, right? Like from October of 2019 till basically less than a month ago, I didn't buy a single pair of shoes. That's the first time, you know, I don't even remember, right? Like I started working from from October of 2019 to November of 2020. I didn't buy a single shoe. And I, I mean, you know me and I know you and, and I know that you understand how difficult that is, right? Like that is, I mean, it was incredibly challenging. Um, it's been something that I've been wanting to do for a while just to kind of re- reset my addictive nature 
and yeah. Yeah. and look at myself and step away. But it's also something that I like I, you know, like I, I started working when I was like 13 years old, I bought my first pair of shoes at 13 or 14 with my own money. And I've been trying to buy sneakers ever since, right? Um, I'm not trying to guilt you on this, but like, you know, part of it was just like seeing like what you were doing in the magazine and like, damn, this is crazy. You know, like, and then of course I have my own personal stories as to why I went towards certain people and certain brands and certain athletes, but like stepping away from it in that sense, like I didn't step away from sneakers cause I'm obviously talking about them all the time with the guys on the podcast. And, you know, like we, you know, you and I have so many friends that we've connected to throughout the years that I don't think, I don't think talk like we could ever actually step away from talking about sneakers. We might right, not talk right. about them to the same extent, but it's just been a part of our life and something we've been passionate about and shared that experience with so many people that, you know, it was, it was a really interesting challenge for me because I, I, I ended up buying the Air Max nineties, right? The infrared nineties, one of my favorite shoes all time, because not because of the shoe or anything like that, but because my brother and I couldn't get it when it first came out mm. and we drew it. My mom probably still has the sketches, right? Like that's how, yeah, we, yeah, yeah. that's how we acquired things back then was because like, we didn't have the money. We literally, like if we saw a picture of it, I remember like, you know, hitting recording thing, recording commercials, hitting pause and like trying to sketch the shoes right off the vcr you know like and that was just something like i'd always loved the the infrared 90 because of that the last pair i bought was 2005 history of air and those are just absolutely annihilated and frankly air maxes don't look near as good beat up as as dunks or jordan ones right right so it was like okay like they're bringing it back i think you know i've made it the year like because i had the conversation with myself of like do i want to even do this right like do I need to buy any shoes anymore? Yep. And, yep. you know, like I'm really lucky and, and you probably are in the same place where occasionally stuff shows up and you're like, just thankful that you get it. And like that you still get, it's not the same as that 94 Jordan one purchase, but it's like that, that like opening the box moment of like, okay, this is, this is like an, still an experience that I enjoy, but also right. not something I need to spend my own money on or yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, bury myself in these things for. But it was really interesting to to kind of go through that myself. And I think, you know, like going back to like the conversation around Supreme and like being that it was just kind of the, the spot or whatever, like that was Huff for me in, in San Francisco, right? Like I, I don't remember when they opened, probably 2001 or 2002. So obviously a much different time, but it was, it was still like the cool place to go right. to like... Uh, connect with people that actually understood why you were obsessed with, you know, this weird subculture of shoes. And, you know, I think of like, I mean, alphanumeric and, and like, I mean, even uh savior, right? Like that was a, that was a brand that, or Savier, whatever, however you say the, the brand, right, 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 right. Like that was a brand that I was aware of before I knew about Nike SB becoming a thing. Right. And it, like, I, yeah. I still have t-shirts, you know, like from that era where it was like, mm-hmm. this is just a brand that I thought was cool in the skate shop and somehow ended up with a t-shirt. But then like, you know, the, the way that all of that stuff progresses and just becomes, you know, a, a, like, you know, just blunt, like you said, it, it went from a, a skate shop to a streetwear <laughs> store that skate, sold skateboards. Right. And that's right, like the perfect right. analogy. Well, for it's, it. it's funny because like, 
you know, I essentially did a cleanse this year too. And like, it wasn't really necessarily on purpose. And like, you know, I do really appreciate dudes like Frankie at New Balance who occasionally sends me stuff still. Like he sent me those Joe Fresh Goods 992s, which I'm super psyched on. And like the Bodega 997H, which I actually wore like a couple times and then decided to uh, pay forward to someone else and leave them uh, down at Stony Brook Harbor. But, um, you know, back in, I, it's weird, like pre-COVID is hard to remember. Like, I don't think I bought it's very much. It's very blurred. Yeah, if it's anything very in January and February, um, like I, I just wasn't in that space. And then like, you know, March rolls around and you're like, shit, like places are going out of business and like small businesses are suffering. So I ended up buying a pair of the uh, denim tears uh, or denim tears. I never know how to pronounce that. Um, Chucks from a life. Cause I'm like, well, shit, first of all, you know, I like, I like what he did with these. And secondly, like, I want to support A-Life because I can't imagine the LES without them. And uh, that's pretty much it. Like, I bought a pair of 9511s from Corgi Shoe on Instagram because he posted them for, like, 225 They were up for a couple days. And I finally emailed him, like, dog, I'm just mad these are still available. So I'm buying them <laughs> just so I don't see them anymore. Um, and I kind of wanted a pair of original 11s, even though they've been worn a little bit, like just to have a pair. Cause I like the idea of like, you know, well, on the one hand, I don't want to have shoes just to have them. I'd rather have an original version of that shoe than any retro. So, yeah. um, and then I recently went against all my better judgment and looked at the essence sale and ended up buying a pair of campuses for like 40 bucks. Cause I still wear campuses. So, um, but I was thinking about it today. When I, when I was thinking we were going to talk and I'm like, shit, I haven't bought a pair of Nikes or a pair of Jordans this year. And maybe there was a year I missed during slam or during complex when I was getting sent so much, but I don't think so. Cause usually getting sent stuff makes me buy more, not less. Yeah. Cause I'm like, fuck, sure. I didn't get these. So I definitely need to buy these. <laughs> um, so I'm like, this might be the first year I haven't bought a new pair of Nikes or Jordans since the 80s. Yeah, like, that's crazy. Certainly man. since the 90s. But I'm thinking the 80s because I bought Flight 89s in 89 and like Jordan 2s in 88. So, um, yeah, I mean, we're talking like literally a 30-year streak that I probably broke this year. And I don't know, man. I'm just not in any rush to go back to doing that. Like, I remember the... The Black Cement Jordan 3s, which were, you know, sort of a transformational shoe for me where I was like, holy shit, I have to get these. Yeah. And of course, I didn't in 1988 because I couldn't afford them and I bought twos instead. Um, so I didn't get a pair until 94, or 95 when they retroed. Um, they re-released while I was in Kuala Lumpur. And I remember going to a JD Sports when they were out. And I definitely had space in my luggage. I could have. And I picked them up and looked at them and like, I just sort of held them for a while in the shop. And I'm like, I don't need these. I don't yeah. need this. Like, it's not, the shoe isn't the same. And that that's not a knock on like the way retros are built, but it is because they're definitely different. But it's like, I'm not me in 1988 anymore either. Like, I'm not the kid who's like, man, I really want these and wear these all the time. Like, would I? Yeah, I mean, I, I would, I would have worn them and like, 
I'm sure I would have been psyched to open that box and like the Nike Air on the heel and stuff, but it's just not, I, I don't know. I don't know. Somewhere along the line, things shifted a little bit. And like, yeah. also the whole idea of like, yeah, I'm going to buy these and just wear these. Cause then it's like, yeah, well then why do you have these 300 other pairs of shoes? You moron. <laughs> like, I don't even want to like deal with that. So, you know, yeah. now I'm kind of at the point where it's like, I will buy the occasional pair. Certainly. Like I didn't need those campuses, but I wrote a whole thing for GQ about wearing campuses and like, I still love them. And like, they're such a basic shoe and like on days, yep. I think I'm MCA, like I'm down to like, just wear those. So, um, <laughs> you know, adding that doesn't bother me so much, but like, as far as like being on this, like, oh man, I had this shoe when I was a kid and like, or I didn't get this shoe while I was a kid. So I want to get them now. Like, I don't know, somehow I've managed to, to sever that connection and realize like getting this pair of shoes I wanted in high school is not going to impress the kids in my homeroom class who I wanted to impress back then. And like, again, like we talked about earlier, it doesn't indicate the same things to people you see. And now it's completely disconnected because it's like the idea of wearing a shoe and like having someone notice you wearing it is like just kind of like sending a signal out, hoping it gets received. And now the yeah. only thing you could do is like post your shit on Instagram. And that's like, so like, I don't know, that's almost like desperate for attention or just like, you know, you have a captive audience and you're literally showing them your shoe, which is the equivalent of walking up to someone and being like, yo, look at what I'm wearing today. Like, leave me alone, man, like, come on, I don't care. Like I actually went back and deleted a bunch of like sneaker photos out of my regular Instagram. Cause I'm like, what am I doing? Yeah. I mean, that's, like, that's actually. Like... No, I was going to say, no. and like, I'm probably not going to burn the bridges. I thought I was going to burn, but like, I'm going to throw a match right now anyway, but it's like, and I'm sure you had the same thing. Like when you leave full-time sneaker media, like all of a sudden it's like, wait a minute, I haven't heard from this person in like six months now. Like, Yep. You used to send me literally everything you produced. And now, like, I don't even get a, like, hey, yo, you doing all right? Like, yep. and that's on me because I have a tendency maybe to to put too much into things and, like, not realize when something is purely transactional. But it's, like, you still have that moment where you're, like, well, fuck. Like, I thought we were actually kind of friends. And, like, I guess we honestly weren't. Like, I've actually been going back through and, like, especially since I've sort of slowed down on buying shit. I'm just like, I'm following like brands and retailers yeah. and people connected to brands. Like, cause I don't even want to deal with it anymore. And it's like, you get that second slap in the face when you unfollow someone you've followed for years and you're like, wait a minute, they didn't even follow me back. Like that's <laughs> fucked up. So, um, yeah, that, that's been kind of a fun, like, you know, that that's that emotional context to the let's get rid of the shit but let's also get rid of the shit out of your head where you're like, you believed something just cause you believed it. And it's like, it clearly never was the case. So like, why carry that around anymore? You know, yeah. it's the same thing with the shoe. And like, that's where I've been at with some of the sneaker stuff where it's like, you know what? Maybe I did need to get the shoe at the moment I got it. And like maybe buying it did do something for me. And maybe like that moment of that, that dopamine hit of like, Oh, I can get this on sale or whatever, or yep. I got through and got this before it sold out. 
maybe that moment was important, but that doesn't mean I have to keep the fucking shoe forever. You know, yep. even like if someone sent me something and I was psyched on it in the moment and I posted it wherever, that doesn't mean I have to keep it for the rest of my life. Like I don't need to be weighted down by like this random shoe that a retailer sent me in 2012. I can let that go. Yep. So, yeah. I mean, that's, you know, that's a great point. I think the other thing about that is like, I think, you know, we have all these pictures in our phones and all these ways to create memories. And like, we don't even revisit these memories. It's like, just keep the memory and, and keep it moving, you know? Yeah, no, no. And even all the stuff I've sold, like on my IG, like I'm just selling it through the story. Like I don't even sell it through a post. Like, first yeah. of all, I don't want to bite Corgi shit. And secondly, like, <laughs> I like the fact that it's ephemeral and like, I'll literally post it and it's up for 24 hours. And if it sells, I'll delete it. But like, there's no permanent record of it other than in my phone. Like I'll keep like two images of everything I post. Like I'll keep the raw image and then I keep like the image with the text on it. So I don't have to keep retyping it every time I repost it. But yeah. when I sell it, I'll delete the actual, like, you know, sort of ad style one and keep just the random photo. And like, it helps yeah. me keep track of like what I had and what I got rid of. But, but yeah, like, am I going to look back through that shit? Like I've actually told people that too. Cause I know I've read it where it's like, oh, if you don't know, if you want to get rid of a t-shirt, you know, take a picture of it. Yep. And like, I swear to God, like, it's not, they don't tell you to do that. So you can have this like photo record of every t-shirt you've ever had. Basically yeah. it's just a way to convince you to get rid of it. Yep. Cause yeah, like you said, you're never going to look at the fucking photo again. You'll probably end up deleting it. But the good news is the shit you were agonizing over getting rid of is gone. Yeah. You got that done. Yep. So like the photo itself doesn't matter. Are you, uh, are, are you still, uh, working on the book? Yeah. It's been kind of a slog. I mean, partially because I probably didn't do nearly enough research because I always make the mistake of like, oh, I know enough. Um, and also just because the whole subject is kind of, I don't know. I've had, obviously yeah. through our conversation, I've had mixed feelings on the whole shit. But um, yeah, I mean, there's I, I mean, I think that's the beauty of it though, right? Like it's it's like, when do you, you know, I, I, I it, sounds weird but it's like it's like a relationship right it's like how do you how do you know when to let go of that you know i don't want to sound cheesy but that first love of like once you've grown out of it right like you can't possibly be you know even even people that have lifelong relationships like they've got to have right 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 variations in their relationship throughout the years to to you know actually be together and I think as cheesy as it sounds, sneakers is kind of that for, it sounds like in our conversations, you and I are like grappling with the same conversation of like, do I care about this stuff as much as I thought I did? Yeah. Is yeah, it, it is, is it bad it, for me to not care? <laughs> like, it, it's funny, like, and, you know, I had this thought related to something else, but it sort of applies to the whole sneaker thing. And it goes back to like what I was talking about earlier, where it's like, there's this I don't know. If, I don't. I don't. I forget what they call it in Buddhist terms, whether it's a parable or just a, a a lesson or whatever. And it's a story of like two monks who come to the edge of a river, and there's a woman, you know, who's scared to cross. And like, the one is like, "Well, shit, we can't touch women, so I guess we're not doing shit." And the other one says, "Well, whatever," and picks her up, carries her across, puts her down on the other side, and they continue their walk. And at one point, the other one turns to him and is like 
you know, we're not supposed to like, we're not supposed to do that. Like, what, what are you thinking? And he's like, well, I put her down at the other side of the river. Why are you still carrying her? And I actually, it's funny. I thought about it in terms of Lance Armstrong and I'm not going to even get into like that whole thing, but other than to say, like, I've kind of, I had my moments with Lance where I hated him. Cause like, dude, you were like the worst yeah. cheer ever. And like, I'm still upset just kind of with the way he treated Greg Lamond, who I think should be considered basically a national hero and is finally starting to get his due again. And, and I'll always hate Lance for what he did to, to Greg. But on the other hand, like I look at Livestrong and I'm like, if people took hope from that and if cancer patients like took something from that, it kind of doesn't matter that Lance was part of this huge cheating thing, because if he inspired you, like the rest was you, you did the rest yourself. So, you know, you were able to pick him up and put him down and kind of that's where I'm at with a lot of this sneaker stuff where it's like, I've kept a lot of this and held on to a lot of it because I felt like, Oh, I'm this like sneaker guy. So I need to have all this stuff. And it's like a lot of this fall has been telling myself like, nah, dude, like, you use it for what you needed it for. You can put it down now. Like you can get rid of this stuff. And like, whether that's leaving it in the park or selling it on IG or like literally sending it to a friend who I think might do better with it than I will. Like, it's just about like letting this stuff go. Um, you know, and some of it also is like, whatever, I'm going to be 50 next year. Like I've always like one of my go-to excuses for buying shit is like, well, I'll wear this someday. <laughs> and it's like, I finally reached that point where it's like, no, someday is today. And if you don't wear it now, when you, when is that someday? That someday doesn't exist for you anymore. And like, not to be like even morbid, but like more in the sense that like, am I going to be 60 and being like, yeah, I'm going to wear these Reeboks today. Like, no, you're not. <laughs> like you're either yeah. going to wear them now or that's it. You're like weird yep. old man phase. Like you're in the middle of it. So you know, either embrace it or don't, but like, don't think like, oh yeah, I'll get to these. Like, no, that's what you said like 15 years ago when you put this pair of Air Force Ones in a stack and like, guess where they are now? In the same stack. Like yep. the only time you've looked at them has been like, should I get rid of these? Mm, I don't know, maybe not. <laughs> no, you should have gotten rid of them then. <laughs> yeah, so, it's it's actually amazing that that's the, the, I don't know if it's parable or whatever that story is because I don't, I don't think you and I ever talked about that, but I literally use that as a reference. I mean, on a regular basis, like people listening to this probably have heard me say that in some place, because it's also goes back to me kind of, you know, my own checks and balances system, right? Like of whether that's, you know, buying sneakers or t-shirts or collecting shit, or just like, you know, being able to say no for a while, being able to step away because it's important for me to like always check in with myself and, and, you know, know that I'm still in control and still making the right decisions. Right. I'm totally okay with making poor decisions. I've <laughs> been doing that for years, but I also just want to know that I'm capable of making good decisions for a continued amount of time. And it's funny. Cause like, that's kind of the example that I use in a lot of my conversations with, even with just like, you know, friends, family in, in checking in, especially, you know, and I, I wanted to circle back, but checking in throughout this pandemic and all this stuff, I've been looking at that same stuff as like, how do I, how do I, you know, like you and I have, have texted a handful of times and obviously DM, you know, a handful of times throughout the year. 
and I think that's kind of like what I'm trying to be better about because it's it's incredibly difficult with social media because you have so many people, right? And it's it's a lot different for people that have worked on the media side of anything because you do have a lot of these relationships that, you know, in the moment they seem much more real or much more important than they actually are. And the pandemic has kind of shown, oh, that's, you know, that's not, they didn't, they didn't think of me the same way I thought of them or right, vice versa. Right, right? right. And it's impossible for you to maintain, you know, we follow and, you know, have thousands of followers, right. It's impossible for you to maintain relationships with all those people. Right. Like oh, you yeah, can't yeah, yeah. possibly do that. And, and things fall between the cracks and sometimes you miss DMS or miss messages, wherever. And like that happens all the time. And I think like part of, you know, my like re like, understanding myself and the way I'm, you know, going through all this stuff is like, just looking at who I've chose to reach out to and who's reached out to me and, and like, doing a little checklist and inventory of like, do I, you know, who, who do I need to reach out to to check in with? Who have I not talked to in a while, but also the same kind of approach, you know, outside of the media conversation or the, you know, just in the real world, right? Like I have family that I've distanced myself from this year because of their. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because of right. their stuff, right? Their lack of empathy for other human beings. And frankly, like, that's okay. And it's tough because you're, you know, family and related and all that. But um, it's it's definitely a, I think, a, a that parable in, in your analogy with, like, the relationships with, with media and, and stuff like that really goes across the board, right? It's much bigger than sneakers. Yeah, and that's yeah, kind of yeah. what I wanted to use to wrap up since we've been talking for a while. You know, I think that, the thing about sneakers to me has always been about the storytelling has always been about the, maybe not the storytelling, but the storied experience. And, you know, whether that's, you know, you going to Supreme and buying the, you know, orange box SBs back in the day, or you and I walking around the city, randomly going into all these shops to see what's sitting, you know, under the table, right on sale. And, you know, I think, there's something much bigger than sneakers, even though it's a physical thing. I think like, you know, you've kind of been talking about it this whole time and about, you know, you don't necessarily need the sneakers to have the sneakers to be the sneaker guy, right? Like we're all, you know, like we're all super passionate about this stuff in our own ways. Some of us, it's, you know, uh, like the, it's like Bobito saying that, you know, it ended at the Jordan one. Right. And, you know, whatever it progresses to, it's really fascinating to kind of think of what that could become. But I guess like my kind of last, last question for you would be, you know, like, what do you, for, for yourself, obviously downsizing is going to be a big part of your future with all this sneaker stuff. Are you still, I, I, I know you did the GQ stuff. You've done some stuff for Esquire. You've, I mean, you've pretty much written for any media publication that's important in my life, at least. <laughs> Not Esquire, not and just GQ, but still. Just GQ, okay, okay. Um, what was the, you mentioned another one that you just, oh, Bleacher Report. That's, oh, yeah, yeah, stuff. yeah. Are you, you have anything else in the works that, that you know, that's coming down the line and, or anything that's going on right now that you, that you want to share with, with the people that are listening? I mean, or it's hard, man. Like, I have this book I'm working on that's long overdue at this point that, you know, I'm still sort of hammering on and like, trying to get things done on it and a lot more time spent not writing than writing, which apparently is how writing works. But um, still at some point I need to get a lot more words down. Um, 
you know, that's this 15 the history of basketball and 15 sneakers. You know, it's like, I feel like this is stuff I've lived, but you know, at the same time, it's just been difficult for whatever reason, you know, part of it, probably the pandemic, but um, partially my own sort of shortcomings and um, anxieties and whatever else, as far as the rest of it, you know, I don't know. It's weird. I mean, I feel like more outlets crop up and more things happen, but you know, I've kind of thought about it and like, do I want to keep telling the same stories just for different people? You know, I, I'm kind of past the point of where I want to spend, like, even if I can do it off the top of my head, like, do I want to write a story about the Air Jordan 3 for 300 bucks to run somewhere? Like, no, I actually don't. I've told that story. Like, it's out yeah. there. You can find it. Um, in some cases, these things I've written for multiple publications in multiple decades, like, I, you know, those stories are there. I don't mind retelling them, but do I want to keep writing them and keep telling them in that particular form? And probably not. So, um, I, I guess the, the, the short answer is, I don't know, you know, I, I don't know what the next thing is. I mean, there, there was a period when I like kind of was like, oh shit, like I definitely want to end up working for a brand or whatever. And now like, I don't even know if I want to do that, you know, just because yeah. like so much of how it all works now just doesn't rub me the right way, you know, and, and a lot of it is just throwing this stuff out there. And again, like I said, like focusing on the, the brand side of a story rather than the fact that no, you, the story of the shoe starts when you buy it and when you wear it and like just selling the same thing over and over and over again. And in a lot of cases selling to the same people, I, I don't know that that doesn't, that's doesn't really appeal to me. That's not, that's not the side that um, I really see myself on. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Still kind of figuring it all out. Well, I can, I could say uh, as the resident old man of the sneaker history crew, you could always come and have a place <laughs> with the rest of us and be the resident older man than, than me. Then, <laughs> I, then I don't feel as old. So. I get it. I see, I see through that. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, uh, man. I no, mean, you know, and it's funny because I think about it like, you know, with Bobito and like talking about him and a lot of people talk about like his column in the source being kind of one of the first things written about sneakers in a national publication. And the part of it that I think a lot of people sort of glaze over or don't talk about is like he literally described himself in like the first paragraph of that as a reformed sneaker fiend. Like, he had already yeah. like kind of sworn it off at the moment it all started for a lot of other people. And, yeah. you know, I think Bob is one of those dudes who doesn't feel the need and never felt the need to own like a million pairs. Like you look at even photos of in that book of like his quote unquote collection. And it was like, you know, half dozen, dozen pairs or whatever, like tightly curated stuff. And, yeah. uh, you know, he managed to have like quite the life in sneakers after that. So, yeah, you never know. I mean, maybe for me, like getting rid of a lot of this stuff will be like, instead of the end, maybe it's like a different beginning. So I'm not sure I'm still in that, like, just intermediate phase right now. So who knows what comes after? Yeah, man. I mean, I I think too, like, you know, thinking of Bobito and, and I, I mean, I think we're at a point now where probably even a lot of the people that are listening to this or watching this won't even realize that Bobito had you know, footwork and had his own store 
in New York. And um, to me, that's also like one of the things that like always, you know, it's like, oh, that's kind of an interesting way to, you know, maybe you just end up having that little corner store sneaker mm-hmm. store. And that's like your collection is not really your collection. It's just like, hey, this is the stuff I like. Right. Because, you know, uh, you mentioned Union, uh, obviously, earlier in, uh, you know, in reference to the New York City Union. But like, obviously, Chris in at Union LA has done a really good job of kind of almost making that his thing. Right. Like, right, Union right, has always right. had weird stuff. They don't release things on a regular basis. It just shows up, you know, whether it's on the site or in, in the store. And when I lived in LA, going there, you could go regularly and always feel like, wow, I didn't see this, like, or I didn't know this was here. And I think that's kind of an interesting way of having a, being a part of the sneaker thing, I guess, with like out having a collection in a sense. I don't know. Right, right, There's right. some correlation there that I was looking at and feeling, but uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things where I, I'm definitely, you know, obviously grateful for your you know, your career path, being able to connect with you, like inspired me to get into this shit to begin with. Thank you. Also blaming you all of that, you know, like it's, it's, it's a hundred percent love either way. But, um, you know, I, I appreciate you, you know, spending the time and talking with me. I know like we could literally probably talk for days and, you know, (laughs) we could definitely do this again. We could definitely do another part, maybe after even the, you know, after the vaccine hits and things get a little more normal, yeah, maybe yeah. on like the same coast, but um, yeah, yeah, there you go. And especially once your book comes out, man, I want to, you know, just let me know. I want to support, obviously I'm going to buy my copy and, and, you know, I've, I've been wanting this for as long as, you know, I've known <laughs> you personally. So, um, but I think, you know, it's, it's a, it's also, you know, just outside of sneakers, I think it's a great place to be in the uncertainty for you. You know, like I, I really appreciate you. And I, I appreciate that you're talking about this stuff because I've been going back and forth for years. I mean, I think we even talked about it as we walked around the city grabbing coffee, you know, 10 years ago or eight years ago, whenever it was. And like, it's something that I think in the sneaker world, it's glossed over by the brands and the people that, you know, they don't want to upset the brands because they want the free product or they want a paycheck. And I understand that. And I don't discredit that because, I'm looking for ways to put money on in my bank account, right, right, like right. Put food on my table too. But I do think it's, it's important to hear it from somebody like yourself. Who's, you know, had, a, you know, an incredible journey and incredible experience with all of this stuff, ups and downs along the way, you know, like it's, it's just um, something that's, it's cool to see the transparency. And I'm, I'm glad that you talked about a lot of that stuff with, Always, with people because Always. we, no, we got a lot of interesting too, people. So you, you got, you, you came into complex at like the, the, moment in the fire with a broken shoulder and had to sh- carry the load like right <laughs> in the beginning. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's been an interesting journey and I'm just happy to be happy to be part of it too. Yeah, man. Well, uh, thanks for spending yeah a couple hours. Uh, <laughs> hopefully everybody gets to, gets to stick with this. I'm sure it, I, I enjoyed the conversation and thanks everybody for listening. Obviously you can follow Russ on Instagram, Russ Bankston and, uh, Twitter, Russ Bankston. Yep. Uh, any, any, uh, that's pretty much it. Just that's follow around it. Long that's Island, grabbing some shoes. Yeah, huh? yeah, yeah. <laughs> right I think, on. I think we All covered right. it. Cool, man. Well, thanks again, and uh, I'll catch you on the next one. Peace. All right, man. Thank you. Later. Hey, y'all. Nick Ingvall here. Before you take off, I want to thank you for listening to the Sneaker History Podcast. 
It really means a lot that you would spend a portion of your week hanging with us. And if there are any ways that we can improve the podcast for you, please leave us a review on iTunes. If you're looking for more content from the Sneaker History crew, head over to patreon.com slash sneakerhistory and join us for as little as five bucks a month. That also gets you access to our Discord group, which is a lot of fun. Also, make sure you're subscribed to our YouTube channel. We just started uploading our videos there now, so you can watch the video version of the pod and a lot more. Last but not least, tell someone you like their kicks today. It's a small gesture that can go a really long way to making somebody's day a little bit better. Thanks again, and we'll catch you on the next one. Peace. Hey, hey, Nick here again. Before you take off, I want to thank you for listening to the Sneaker History Podcast. Be sure to hop into our Discord to answer this episode's The Last Shot question and get to know our community of sneaker enthusiasts. If you'd like more insights on the trending topics in the sneaker world, I've also recently started a newsletter to share my knowledge from nearly two decades of experience working in the footwear industry. You can find the link to that below or go to sneakerhistory.com newsletter. And last but not least, tell someone you like their kicks today. You never know how far a simple compliment can take you, and we all know how good it feels to be on the receiving end of some appreciation. Thank you for all the support, and we will catch you on the next episode. Peace.